Welcome to the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 283 to Shara versus Hill. I'm your host, Ben Duffy of Sherdog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sherdog Radio Network. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, I heard you and our good friend Dev cover the recap for UFC Vegas 67 the other night. Uh, big props as always to Dev for stepping in when you or I are, are undisposed. Uh, I'm going to guess that you are done talking about that card and ready to move on to the next thing. So <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move <laughs> on to the, okay, I won't even ask that. you a question one about that one. Uh, obviously, this card, the UFC's first pay-per-view of 2023, about as loaded as you're going to find. Uh, you know, it's got two. It's got two title fights. Uh, it has at least one possible title eliminator, and by that, of course, I'm referring to Josiani Nunez versus Zara Ferrando Santos at women's That's featherweight. Right. Uh, and in between, it's got a whole lot of good stuff. I, we've talked before about how the UFC pretty much always stacks its pay-per-view cards at this point. Like, if they can manage it at all, they put two title fights on there, and there's usually a bunch of goodies on the main card. So the difference between the okay, the good, and the great is really what the rest of the card is made of. Uh, Outside of, I'd say, you know, the main card, what would would you say is one fight or at least one fighter you're really excited to see on Saturday? Yeah, uh, I'm – I like the – these Bonfin brothers, let's see how, yeah. how they're going to do. Two brothers making a debut at the same time. That's interesting. Uh, so that's, you know, there's a lot of debuting fighters. Some I'm excited about, some I'm not too excited about. Uh, so that's some of the things on the prelims that I'm looking forward to. And I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we talked about on the preview for last week's card that the whole thing was just jammed with fighters who won their way into the UFC on the Contender Series back in 2022. You could say the same for this card, but even so, it's almost like they held back some of the more legit prospects for this one. Like you mentioned, the Bonfim brothers, one of them is 13 and 0. The other is like 18 and 3, but he's on a 12 fight win streak. Mm. Uh, you know, like the, they got a little more of the cream of the crop of last season's Dana White Contender Series pool for this one, I, I feel like. Uh, there's 15 fights on this card. There is a potential retirement fight of a legend coming up, whether it ends up being a happy or a sad one will, will remain to be seen. There are a couple of pretty interesting betting lines that I'm going to uh, sneak up and ambush you with throughout. Uh, what do you say we just jump right in and, and tackle these prelims? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First up on the UFC 283 undercard is a men's bantamweight matchup between Simon Oliveira and Daniel Marcos. Oliveira. The 31-year-old Brazilian is 18-4 and overall. He is 0-1 in the UFC. He joined out of the 2021 uh, Dana White's Contender Series. He made his debut all the way back at UFC 270, so uh, almost exactly a year ago against Tony Gravely, where he dropped a unanimous decision. After 12 months off, he's back in against the debuting Marcos. Uh, 29-year-old Peruvian, 
is 13-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He comes to the UFC out of the 2022 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he beat Brandon Lewis by unanimous decision back in September to earn his roster spot. He also comes in as the outgoing Bantamweight champ of 300 Sparta, which is pretty much Peru's top promotion right now. Odds on this one... Um, Moderate favorite. Uh, Oliveira is minus 170. Marcos plus 145. Uh, thing about this uh, fight to me is, uh, you know, Marcos comes in. I don't know how long he's going to last. Uh, you know, the jury is out on that one, but I think he should be a whole lot of fun for however long he does last. And maybe that's just a... Maybe that's just a, a Peruvian fighter thing, kind of like uh, South Korean fighters got that reputation, you know, kind of back in the in the 2000s or early 2010s. Like they were just like wildly aggressive uh, strikers and wildly aggressive grapplers. Just the, the whole the whole thing was, yeah, man, Korean fighters are really aggro. Maybe that's a Peruvian thing, too. Maybe it's just like, you know, your your Luis Palominos and, and Daniel Marcos is they're just going to be these wild men. Uh, and he's taking on someone in Oliveira where. He calls himself a Muay Thai fighter. The tattoos say Muay Thai, but in the cage, he's a bit more of a grappler, and, and he's almost more of an old-school Brazilian grappler to me, a guy that uh, he wants to grapple, doesn't always have the best options for getting things to the ground, and is uh, perhaps too willing to work for uh, submissions from his back. It hasn't hurt him too badly so far, but it may not be a sustainable thing at, at the UFC level. Uh, here... Despite the fact that Marcos is a bit of an underdog, I, I like him in this fight. Uh, his biggest hurdle he's going to have to overcome or Oliveira's biggest route to victory is that Marcos is such a reckless striker. He loves to throw stuff like flying knees. I mean, he has he has at least one flying knee knockout on his record, but he tries them a lot. Uh, he tried at least two on the Contender Series. He tried them constantly back in Peru. Sometimes they, they work. Sometimes they work at least in the sense that they allow him to safely close distance. Sometimes they don't work. And if it doesn't work against Oliveira and he finds himself on his back, he might get tapped out. Uh, you got to keep trying it though. Like it's like, it's like a new year's yeah. resolution. Just keep, keep yeah. going for me. Like don't yeah. give up new year, new me, but still more flying needs. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, give me Marcos in this one. I, I, I wasn't that impressed with Oliveira in his UFC debut. I wasn't that sold on him coming out of the contender series. And after a full year off, I just I'm not absolutely sure what I'm going to see. So, give me Marcos, uh, you know, in the slight upset right off the bat. Give me Marcos by decision here. I'm just going to say he makes it a wild fight. If he makes some mistakes, Oliver isn't able to to take full advantage of him, and he he wins two rounds out of three. Yeah, we uh, we talked about a, a pay per view card and kind of a weird fight to be open up a, a pay per view card and as neither guy is you know the most hyped up prospect. You know, a lot of times when you have a, a pay per view, you have that guy like okay, they're trying to get this guy over or this guy has potential. Uh, this really isn't that fight. Oliveira, you mentioned on the feet, definitely a Muay Thai style striker. He's got some pretty good output, uh, pressure striker, but he throws a lot of wild power shots. Uh, he tends to overreach. Um, and he can kind of uh, throw without any setups, um, just kind of winging shots. Uh, he also does some, like you talk about Marco's flying knees. Uh, Oliver loves the spinning back fists and that 
also never land. So like, we should have like a pool. Like, what's going to land first? The spinning back fist from Oliveira or Marcos's <laughs> flying knee. Uh, defensively, he has a lot of holes, uh, no head movement, mostly pillars. He's He throws a lot of kicks. I like his teep kicks. I like his calf kicks. Uh, he will get a takedown, uh, you know, a lot. But you mentioned it. He's not a strong wrestler. He's definitely like your old school BJJ grappler. He's that guy that, you know, he starts at the BJJ class on the knees doing that, like, you know, slap hands, fist bump, and let's roll on our knees kind of stuff, uh, which I don't think helps him in MMA. Uh, he's, I think he's a, he's a top side grappler. Like he's, he's much stronger from the top than he is on the bottom. He does well to advance position on the bottom. And he has, as you mentioned, he has 11 submission wins. So uh, he's definitely a threat there. Marcos, also a Muay Thai striker, a little flat footed. Uh, and a very like traditional high guard defense, but I like his counter striking. Uh, you know, he he kind of faints a little bit to have you know his opponent attack, and he's got some quick hands, some tight shots. He's pretty accurate. Uh, that's because he has good vision. He sees a lot coming at him. Decent pop. Uh, he tends to throw little arm punches, which uh, if you really stepped into it, I think he actually would get draw even more pop. I like his front kick. Uh, going back to the Brandon Lewis, incredible ga- uh, calf kicks and. One concern is a fight that he was way ahead of. He was slowing down and being gassed out. And I haven't seen that much uh, on the ground with him, so I definitely would favor uh, Oliveira on the ground. Uh, this is a really hard fight to pick. I think Oliveira has the advantage on the ground, and Marcos might have the edge on the feet. I say uh, Marcos, you might even use Oliveira's aggression on the feet against him. And I think he might beat Oliveira to the punch with some short shots, added some calf kicks. So we're both on the same side, going with the upset. I'll, I'll, you know, out the gate. So I'll take Marcos by upset. I'll say Marcos by decision. We head now to the women's featherweight division, such as it is for a matchup between Josiani Nunes and Zara Farron dos Santos. Nunes, the 29 year old Brazilian is nine and one overall. She is two and oh in the UFC one and oh at featherweight. Uh, she made her debut at what I believe was, yeah, UFC on ESPN, Kenanier versus Gastelum back in August of 2021, knocking out Bea Malecki uh, in the first round. That was a bantamweight. She came back last February and took a unanimous decision over Ramona Pasquale. She'll look to make it three in a row at the expense of Dos Santos. The 36-year-old French woman of Brazilian descent is 6-4 and four overall. She's 0-2 in the UFC, and she is coming back for the first time in three years, uh, just about. She made her UFC debut back in October of 2019 at UFC 243, getting triangled in the first round by Megan Anderson. She came back in February of 2020 and got pounded out on the ground by Felicia Spencer. So, yes, uh, it would have been three years next month that she had been away, but uh, she's back. She's looking to get her first UFC win. She is most decidedly not favored to do so. Nunes is minus 500. Zara Ferrando Santos plus 350 on the comeback. Uh, to, to steal a line from Keith Schillen, <laughs> Josiani Nunes, I, I would say Josiani Nunes shouldn't be a minus 500 favorite over anyone in the UFC, but the way I get around that is by saying that Zara Ferrando Santos shouldn't be in the UFC. <laughs> Josiani Nunes should be even money to be able to get on like the grown-up roller coasters at an amusement park. Like the woman <laughs> is three feet tall. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> here, here's the problem to me, and it's funny. 
we we talked last week, and I kind of threw out the question, courtesy of uh, Jay Petri, was Sajara Eubanks versus Priscilla Cachoeira the lowest level fight in at least recent UFC history with top 15 implications? I'm going to go on record in saying this is the worst fight in the post-tough era that is a probable title eliminator. If Josiane Nunez wins this, we might get Nunez versus Nunez sometime this year. It, that's, the sell, that's the selling point, Nunez versus Nunez. Yeah, it's a mirror match. <laughs> like, <laughs> make it, just make, no, just make us lie that they're related somehow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, tell me, I, I mean, tell me who you think wins this one and, and uh, how and why. <laughs> the fans win this one for sure. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I understand why uh, Nunez is such a, such a big favorite. Oh, one, she's had some success in the UFC. Well, uh, Zarafam has not. Uh, Nunez is a southpaw fighter who uses a lot of pressure. She gets in the pocket and she just wants to brawl. She's she's ferocious when she gets in there. She's as you mentioned, she's three feet tall, so she's always going to be the shorter fighter. So getting inside. Uh, it doesn't really concern her. Like she's shown that ability to get inside against really tall fighters. So despite farm being much bigger than her, uh, that shouldn't be an issue. She gets in there. She throws heat. She loves her winging overhand left. Uh, she showed in her fight against Bay Malecki that she can put someone out with a big shot. She has eight knockouts on her, on her record. Uh, she's surprisingly very strong in, in the clinch, kind of like a Jessica Andrade where she uses that like short stout frame, you know, to her advantage. But she gets underneath and she starts landing uppercuts and stuff, some good dirty boxing. Uh, weak takedown defense. Oh, I haven't seen too much of her offensive grappling, but uh, she has been taken down and she struggles to get back up. But what I do like, she doesn't panic on the bottom, which which is good. And I've seen her score some points on the bottom, like landing hard elbows and stuff on her back. And if she's on top, she's got some mean ground and pound. No, Farron, she's, she's really tall for the weight class. She's going to look even taller going against Nunez. She's long, rangy. Uh, she can be aggressive on the feet. She works behind uh, a jab. Uh, she she was had moments against Felicia Spencer where she was having some success early in the fight. Uh, she makes a lot of that tall, uh, I should say tall woman's defense issues where she leans straight back to avoid shots. She also loses a lot of power because she arm punches, doesn't really step into her shots. Her ground game is terrible, though. No takedown defense at all. No get-up game. No submission defense. Go back to like the the Felicia Spencer fight. Uh, Megan Anderson smoked her on the ground, which is not never a good look. So, when this fight was originally booked, I think like a year, year and a half ago, I think I was picking Farn. Like I, I think we were like previewing it right up to this fight until um, I think I forget what happened the day, the week of the fight. But I'm going the other way now. I'm I'm going with Nunes. Uh, Farn, Farn's going to have to do the jab. She's going to have to do those teep kicks. She's going to have to kind of move to kind of keep her victory, but. I've seen Nunez get inside of, of people with length before. So I say Nunez gets in the pocket. I think she batters Zarn for 15 minutes with power shots. She might even stop her, especially if she maybe gets on top in, in a scramble or something. But I think we might even have some 10 8 rounds. I think Nunez wins in a blowout. So give me uh, Nunez by blowout decision. Yeah, their uh, <clears throat> their their uh, previous fight was canceled because uh, Nunez wasn't allowed to get on an airplane alone because they thought she was a kid. Uh <clears throat> I you pointed her mom did assign the permission slip. <laughs> <laughs> you pointed out what uh what I was gonna point out that the most glaring thing here, other than the fact that 
Zara Farron has been gone for three years and she's turned 36 in that spam, which is not good, even in what is basically the women's equivalent of heavyweight. But that her ground game is unbelievably bad. Like every time we would say something like, uh, you know, Greg Hardy has the worst uh, ground game in the UFC or, or, you know, name fighter here. That was always because I assume Zara Farron Dos Santos was gone for good. But when, when Megan Anderson like just hauls you down and slices right to Mount with no yeah. resistance, you have the worst ground game in the UFC. Uh, I mean, Nunez's preferred game plan is like, as you mentioned, to kind of just bounce into range, land overhands. She's proven she can do it on much taller fighters. I mean, Bea Malecki's even taller than Zara Ferrando Santos and Nunes clocked her. But in a fight between two relatively wild fighters, there are going to be a lot of collisions and there are going to be chances for this thing to go to the ground. And if they do, it heavily favors Nunes. Like, Nunes would rather knock her out on the feet, but if they end up in any kind of scramble, it's going to end up with Nunes sitting on Dos Santos's chest and punching her just like uh, Megan Anderson did. Uh, so I'm with you. I'm leaning Nunes heavily here. Uh, but yeah, give me Nunes to get the finish. I'm going to say she gets it done in the first round. Just Zara Farron is rusty. Nunes is not. She's aggressive. She knows what her, her skill set is. She's going to hurt her on the feet. This thing ends up on the ground. Nunes pounds her out on the ground. We head now to the welterweight division for a matchup between Warley Alves and Nicholas Dalby. Alves, the 32-year-old Brazilian, is 14-5 and overall. He is 9-5 and since joining the UFC out of the third season of The Ultimate Fighter Brazil. Uh, he lost his last time out. It was a second-round knockout at the hands of Jeremiah Wells all the way back in June of 2021. So just a little over 18 months that he's been away. Uh, he's alternated wins and losses over his last six fights, dating all the way back like five years. Uh, he's been plagued by some uh, layoffs, sporadic injuries, but he's back in action, looking to get back in the win column. Standing in his way is Dalby. The 38-year-old Dane is 24-1 and with two no contests in his mixed martial arts career. He's 4-3-1 and with one no contest in his UFC career. He's three and one with one no contest since returning to the UFC in 2019. So his recent run, three and one with one no contest. He won his last time out. It was a unanimous decision win over Claudio Silva back at UFC Fight Night Blades versus Aspinall. That would be the second UFC London card last July. Odds here are pretty close, but Alves is a minus, minus 125 favorite Dolby plus 105 on the comeback this one for, for one I, you, you're never that confident saying this on a 15 fight card but this is a, a probably a sleeper for fight of the night these guys generally have pretty exciting fights they're uh they're I think their skills line up in a way that's probably going to lead to a, a pretty exciting fight and they have some broad strokes in common I, I think of them both as strikers who are surprisingly comfortable on the ground or just have gotten that way from being veterans. Uh, Warley Alves, I've always kind of seen him as an Alex Oliveira type if Alex Oliveira only fought once a year instead of like fighting like four times a year like he always did. You know, a uh, striker who, despite not being very tall, just comes off as having longer reach than he does, just kind of long arms, long legs, uh, good leg kicks are one of his best uh, tools on the feet. Uh, <clears throat> you know, but like I say, it has 
he's he's proven to be a guy that at his best he's willing to take what his opponent gives him. You know, like if I think if he had his his way, he'd just be in like just kind of banger kickboxing matches on uh, on the feet every time. But you know, he's proven willing to take advantage of people's ground game. I mean, he's the guy that choked out Colby Covington when Covington was you know right on the cusp of being dropped out of the UFC and what kind of immediately preceded Covington's heel turn. Like, you know, if you hate Colby Covington, Warley Alves is the guy that almost got rid of him for you, but you know, it, it was not to be. <clears throat> I'm I'm mostly worried about him just because he's a guy that I thought he had a lot more upside once upon a time, but he's a guy that seems to be getting old really fast. Uh, you know, the Jeremiah Wells lost was con- was concerning because he just got blasted. And that's something that he didn't seem really susceptible to a few years ago. And he's going up against a guy in Dolby that seems to like refuse to get old, even though he should be like, he's a 38 year old welterweight. He's been in just some brutal, brutal wars over the years. I mean, the guy has a no contest where the fight was called because the cage was too full of blood and it was unsafe. You know, like that, like that's all you need to know about, about Nicholas Dolby Uh, Dolby. You know, both these guys are kickboxers. I think of Dolby as more of a, a boxer who is willing to kick. Here in, in in this fight, I'm leaning Dolby. Again, just as the guy who's he's older but doesn't feel older. He seems like the fresher fighter. If this turns into any kind of war of attrition or if it turns into any kind of like wildfire fight, if both these guys like land on each other hard in the pocket, like Alves is the one that's going to get hurt worse. Dolby's the one that's more likely to recover uh, quickly. And for that reason, uh, I'm picking Dolby to win by decision here. But like I say, you know, kind of pencil it in for a low-key fight of the night candidate. Yeah, I think this is an action fight. I think it's a really hard fight to pick. I think they're you, – you mentioned I think they're very um, comparable and, and, and on the same level uh, – Al's is, is very inconsistent besides him not fighting often one fight. He looks like a top 15 guy. The next fight he looks absolutely washed. So uh, it's, it's kind of hard to guess which guy we're going to get in this fight. Uh, he can be elusive at times. He moves well, uh, but his hands have slowed over the years, but he has big power. He has cracking power, uh, KO power. I like that. He works the body. He's got a really good uh, leg kick game. I mean, he killed Sergio Moraes with it. Um, really slowed down uh, Munir Lazez and, and hurt him with leg kicks uh, in their fight. I shouldn't say slowed down. I mean, like he, he, he batted his legs quickly. Um, he he does really well to use his strength. Like he's a physically imposing guy. Uh, he does really well to get in the clinch uh, and, and overpowers guys in the clinch, just wear on them. He's a good, well-rounded fighter, a good day getting the fight to the ground. Uh, I think he should grapple more. Uh, he's definitely more of a grappler than a wrestler, but he's a BJJ black belt. He's got some slick back takes, hard ground and pound. Uh, though he's a legit grappler, I was surprised when he was submitted by Randy Brown. But again, that goes back to being a very inconsistent guy where one minute he's submitting Kobe Covington, next minute he's getting submitted by Randy Brown. So uh, he has shown signs that he's wearing down. Uh, we saw him start to gas in this fight against James Krause. Uh, and that was only like the second round. And then he, as you mentioned, he was absolutely starched by Jeremy Wells. But I've seen Jeremy Wells do that to guys, uh, you, you know, more on the regional scene. But Jeremy Wells, Wells he, he he can crack. Uh, Dolby, I, I like when you said that he's a, a boxer that will kick. I, I think that's fair. He's definitely a volume guy where he 
he's looking to press the action the whole time, but he has a lot of defensive holes. He's he, his chin's high in the air. Uh, he he likes to get in the pocket and land some shots, and he gets hit a lot because he lacks head movement, and he can be too aggressive, overextend at times, leave himself open. He's got decent pop, but definitely not a, a, a big cracker. Uh, he's got some good kickings, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, he will kick a lot of cheap kicks. He likes that Holly Holm sidekick. I think he's a sneaky wrestler, uh, but he's a he's a sneaky offensive wrestler. He's a, he's a weaker defensive wrestler. You go back to like his last fight against Claudio Silva. Claudio Silva took him down a bunch of times, but he has four submission wins. Uh, he showed against Claudio Silva that uh, he's tough to submit. Invited all the submission attacks, and he was in that position a, a long time. And he has the cardio go hard. You know, fifteen minutes. I I hate picking a winner in this fight because again. Skill-wise, I feel like Alves is the better fighter, but I feel that Dolby has a lot of the intangibles in this fight. I I think I think Alves can do well early in the rounds, you know, but the concern I have with Dolby is that if Alves decides to make this a grappling match, I really think Alves could win this fairly easily. So I again. So I'm really torn. I, I we have 15 fights, and this is one of the fights I just I wish I had more tape study on, and, and just kind of ran out of time to kind of really dig into these guys. I'm gonna go the other way. I'm gonna go Alves because of the takedowns. I think it's gonna be a very close decision where maybe Alves can get up early and then Dolby comes back late, and, and then it's one of those ones you're debating the second round. But uh, I'll lean Alves in a, in a really close decision one. All right, there we go. Some dissension as well early on this massive 10-fight undercard. We head now to the lightweight division for the first of the two Bonfim brothers making his debut on this card. Uh, it is Ismael Bonfim versus Terrence McKinney. Uh, Bonfim, the 27-year-old Brazilian, is 18-3 and three overall. This will be his uh, UFC debut. As mentioned, he won his spot in the promotion last September on Dana White's Contender Series, taking a unanimous decision over Nariman Abasov. Uh, he carries a 12-fight win streak into the cage with him. He'll be facing McKinney, the 28-year-old Washington State native, who is 13-4 overall. He is 3-1 since joining the UFC uh, as a veteran of Dana White's Contender Series Season 3. He lost on the Contender Series, uh, went back and won a couple of fights in LFA before making his debut. Uh, he has wins in the UFC over Matt Frivola, Ferez Zayam, and Eric Gonzalez, uh, sandwiched around a first-round loss to Drew Dober last March in just about everybody's round of the year. Odds are close on this one, but McKinney is the slight favorite. Uh, he's minus 125. Uh, Bonfim plus 105 as the slight underdog. Uh, Keith, Terrence McKinney seems to strike like lightning. Uh, for a guy with as much upside as him in you know the, the UFC lightweight division right now, I can't think of anyone that we that we really know less about. Because like, <laughs> he knocks everybody out so quickly. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, or, like an, or almost it, knocks them out and gets knocked out. But <clears throat> what we know about McKinney to this point is he can splatter pretty good fighters who belong in the UFC. You know, Matt Favola, Ferez, I am. Neither of them are top shelf. 
but you know they're they're solid guys and he knocked Favola out in seven seconds he throttled Ziam in, in less than mm-hmm. half a round uh, and Favola the Favola one has really aged himself Favola's been on a nice little mm-hmm. run yeah like Favola has won all but about seven seconds of his last five fights or so you know uh and even even the Dober fight, I mean, it goes down as a sensational highlight reel knockout win for Dober, but Dober hits like a truck. And, you know, McKinney had his moments in that round as well. It was an absolutely wild three uh, three minutes of action. Yeah. McKinney almost starts Dober. Dober yeah. had to recover and survive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> he's going against Bonfim here, who, on the face of it, he is a little bit more of a, I mean, I, I don't want to call him a more diverse and well-rounded fighter because McKinney is absolutely a, you know, a, a dangerous grappler as well. I mean, we saw what he did to Ferez Ziam. He has a quick strike uh, submission game. I, I would say that Bonfim, he has more gears than McKinney does. Like, despite the fact that it's his UFC debut, I feel like I know more about what he looks like late in fights than McKinney. Like they both came up through LFA, but Bonfim had, you know, a bunch of decisions there. I've seen, you know, what he looks like in the third round of a competitive fight. Uh, <clears throat> he, you know, he's a guy, I feel like we, we just said this about uh, Warley Alves and Nicholas Dalby. He, he is a guy who would prefer to strike, but is definitely comfortable on the ground. Uh, a bit like, well, really a, a bit like his, his teammate, uh, Vicente Luque in, in that regard. Here, for me, it comes down to, do I think McKinney can blitz this guy in the first half around? Because if he can, then the pick is easy. If he can't, then I'm I'm stuck guessing what does Terrence McKinney look like at the end of a first round against a UFC-level opponent? Is he breathing through his mouth and gassed, and they're like, you know, sticking the ice pack on the back of his neck extra yeah. hard? Like he, he, he gassed quick against Dobie. Dober, yeah. right? that's why Dober was able to come back on him. And Dober's not the guy you guess. guess. Yeah. No, no, because Dober, the, the wild thing about Dober is that he's able to maintain a furious pace like for a long yeah. time, which just yeah. doesn't seem, it, it shouldn't be possible. Here, I'm going to go with McKinney, the, the, the slight favorite here. And if I'm going with McKinney, I'm not going with him to, to like win applauding decision if he's going to win he's going to blast this guy in the first round so i'm taking mckinney by first round knockout here but if he doesn't get the knockout in the first round i i start to feel a lot worse about his chances well hell if he doesn't get the knockout in the first three minutes (laughs) i start to feel a lot worse about his chances because again bonfim has shown that he is dangerous into the second half of at least a three-round fight and we know that mckinney's likely going to flag there but Give me, you know, Mr. Lightning to, to strike again here. McKinney by first round KO. Yeah, and I wonder going into Brazil against a Brazilian, you know, or a very Brazilian card with all these Brazilians, you know, um, is it going to affect the adrenaline and all this uh, that McKinney has? You know, he's got to, you know, the crowd's going to be rocking against him. Uh, McKinney, he's he's – an incredibly exciting fighter. I, I think he's he still has a one hundred percent finish rate, correct? Like he's never he's never yeah, he's, he's never yeah, won he's, a decision. Yeah. yeah, he's never won a decision. Uh no, he's never been to a decision. Even <clears throat> yeah. 13, 13 to four, zero decisions. 
Yeah, he he fights with so much confidence. And I said this last time we talked about McKinney, and, and I really like that. I like a guy that's fearless. Yeah, he's got to go out on his shield sometimes because of that. But, uh, you know, he's also going to knock guys out quick. He, he's well-rounded. He's got he's a South Pole with very fast hands, very explosive. He just throws heat with some really bad intentions. I mean, he knocks cats out. You said it, like, mere seconds. It was like a run where he knocked out, like, five guys and like under 30 seconds or something like that. When he loses, he even has moments. Like he, like you mentioned, he almost knocked out Drew Dober. Uh, he tries to walk off KO every time, which is why he, you know, can gas out because it's like he's throwing the Hail Mary over and over again. And he he makes him, he throws from his hips, which kind of leaves him open to counters too, so that could happen. Um, and he f- fights like an absolute berserk. Now, he, in fairness, against Eric Gonzalez, he was a lot more controlled than we saw how effective he was. Uh, he throws some hard push kicks. I like that. Uh, he's got a lot of high kicks. He brutalized Eric Gonzalez in the, in the clinch. He, he's a junior college All-American, blazing fast entries. He turns the corner really good. I like that he advances position on the ground. Really hard ground and pound. He has seven submission wins. We saw against Eric Gonzalez. He got that quick submission. Uh, you mentioned it. Gas tank is the big thing that worries about me, uh, and he's never in a decision. And we've seen him gas out before against Drew Dober. Now, um, Bonfim, I, I think this is the lesser of the Bonfim brothers. I, I feel better about his uh, Gabriel Bonfim than I do Ishmael. Uh, but Ishmael, I think he's a good addition to the UFC. Uh, well-rounded, good, good jab. He really sits on his punches, kind of wings those power punches. He does well to wrap a lot of his shots around his opponent's punches like if you like if you come in with a high guard he does really good to kind of like uh see the angles i love his left hook to the body uh we saw that on the contender series he was blasting the body good power hard leg kicks he has some defensive holes though he's a little he's a little flat-footed for my liking doesn't really move too well kind of a muay thai style where he he stays right in front of his opponent just kind of back straight up he also pillars and in, in almost to the to the sense where he's like turtling up which I hate. He will shoot for entries, and he's physically strong. Like he grabs a limb, he'll slam you. Uh, but he's definitely a BJJ wrestler, where he isn't the best at winning scrambles. But he has four submission wins. So if you make a mistake, he can he can finish this. I do think Bonfin is a decent UFC talent. Uh, I just <clears throat> you you picked McKinney by first round knockout, but you seen a little bit on the fence, like not even like yeah, I'm going with this guy, and that and that's the most likely outcome. So I might as well take a first round. I'm on the opposite. I'm. I think McKinney's an upper tier guy. He, he looks special to me. It, when you heard a guy like Joe Dober, that shows me like everything to know about your power. I I think the line is off. I think McKinney should be a huge favorite. I think McKinney should be like a negative two fifty, closer to negative three hundred. I think I think he runs right through Bonfin. I say he launches those power shots. I'd say he lands one of those. I say he knocks him out, starts them the very first round. So give me McKinney by first round knockout. Next up, the Bantamweights take the cage as Luan Lacerda makes his UFC debut against Cody Stamen. Uh, Lacerda, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 12-1 and overall. He is on a 10-fight win streak. He comes in uh, as a veteran of LFA and as a former champ in Shudo Brazil. Uh, <clears throat> He fought most recently back last May, uh, choking out uh, Masserli Alves da Silva at LFA 132, which was in Brazil. Uh, 
Uh, he uh, makes his UFC debut and he gets Stamen. The 33-year-old Michigan native is 25 and one overall. He is six four and one in the UFC. He fought most recently last June at UFC on ESPN Cater versus Emmett, where he splattered Eddie Wineland in about a minute. That allowed him to uh, snap a three-fight losing streak. Though uh, in Stamen's defense, that streak came at the hands of Jamie Rivera, Marab Dvalishvili, and Saeed Nurmagomedov. So uh, maybe this is just a case of Stamen getting booked a little more appropriately. Uh, in this fight, the bookmakers at least believe he is not being matched appropriately as Stamen is minus 340 here. Lacerda plus 250 on, uh, you know, on, on the comeback. I understand why the odds are what they are because, yes, Cody Stamen can be uh, taken advantage of on the ground. If you are Aljamain Sterling or Saeed Nurmagomedov, uh, Luan Lacerda is absolutely a grappling specialist. I mean, he's a Nova Uniao guy. And I mean, you're old school enough, Keith, that you remember with me when Nova Uniao was this huge camp of smaller absolutely. fighters. Yeah. And they were the most Brazilian grapplers ever. Like before Marlon Sandro and Jose Aldo came along and started knocking people out, Novo Niao was the camp full of like little Brazilian grapplers that were really bad at takedowns. Like if you wanted to see a, a men's bantamweight pull guard on somebody, get you a Novo Niao fighter in like, you know, 2005 or 2006. Lacerda is almost a throwback to that for me. Uh, I mean, he has a little better offensive wrestling, you know, than someone like, you know, say Formiga did back in 2007 or so. But, you know, very much like an old school Nova Onyao guy is what he feels like to me. And for him to win this fight, hell, for him to see the final, to hear the final horn in this fight, he's going to need, he's going to have to either get Stamen down in every round or at least backpack him enough on the feet and stay stuck to him on the cage enough that Stamen can't get separation and just knock his block off. And I am not picking that to happen. Uh, Stamen's not a perfect fighter, but he is what he is at this point. And he is a guy that's going to be, he's going to be physically stronger than Lacerda. Like I say, he has a couple losses by submission, but they are to top, top level guys. Uh, I see Stamen using better footwork to stay at range against Lacerda pop in and land punches when he wants to. He has good power. Uh, if Lacerda tries to clinch with him, I think Stamen uh, is strong enough and savvy enough to just kind of shuck him off and keep punishing him. Give me Stamen to knock out Lacerda in the second round here and for Lacerda to be like 0 for 5 on takedowns by that point. Yeah, this is this is a weird matchup. A huge step down in competition for uh, well, I shouldn't say not from Eddie Wyland, but that that losing streak that he was on. Um, Stamen, say what you want, despite that losing, he he's a well-rounded athlete. He's he's a good athlete. He's your classic wrestle boxer. He's quick. He's got a really nice jab. Uh, he does well to get inside, lands his shots in that range that he wants to be in. Has a lot of like pocket power shots that you know those wrestle boxes land or like Chad Mendez style. Uh, he's really good at cutting angles, so he's not right on the center line. I like that. He switches stance mid attack, sneaky high kick. He does well when he when he's the one pressing the action instead of being pushed back. 
though he actually does have good footwork and is loose with the other way from those attacks, he, he definitely wants to be the guy moving forward. He gets in clinch, he can grind in there. He's a strong offensive wrestler, good entries, very physically strong. Like you can grab a leg and just slam you. And he's good at winning scrambles. I like Cody Stamen as a, as a fighter. Uh, Lacerda, uh, yeah, he's a minus athlete. On the feet, I, I guess he's a Muay Thai striker, but I think you described it well when you talked about Nova you know. He's he's definitely more like a Vito, Vito Shaolin type guy <laughs> than, than he is a Jose Aldo. So, so he'll, end that, being, he'll end up being a better ref than he ever was a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> Shaolin had a nice little run back in like <laughs> I'm just messing around. Like, yeah, like 2004 <laughs> or something like that. Uh, but you know what I mean? Like he's definitely like that old. You know, like yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he 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 has this like keeps his hand glued, like almost like a modified high guard. He keeps his hand glued, but he stands too tall. He's definitely a stationary target, flat footed. He's a counter striker that does a lot of like lead hand fighting, uh, and he loads up and he kind of telegraphs his shots. He loads up a lot. Uh, he doesn't hand up pressure well. He backs straight up when being pressured. He lacks head movement. He throws a lot of kicks. I, I do like his high kick, uh, and he checks kicks, which I like. But everything he does, he just wants to get the fight to the ground. He's not a strong wrestler, though. He'll have to, like, pull guard. He has a BJJ black belt. He's a high-level BJJ black belt. He's got some slick back takes. He's got 10 submissions. His last win was was a really slick uh, submission. I only give Lacerda, like, a shot of catching a submission. Uh, Steven is way better than him everywhere. He's the better wrestler. He's the better striker. He hits harder. I think he smashes Lacerda everywhere and eventually gets TKO. Uh, I give me Steven by second round TKO. All right. We head back to the welterweight division now for a matchup between the other Bonfim brother, Gabriel, and Munir Lazez. Gabriel Bonfim. The 25-year-old Brazilian. And by the way, I should have mentioned this uh, when I introduced his brother. They are the Hammer Brothers. Ismael is Maheta, which if you remember your Tiago Santos, just means hammer. I, I mean, it's the word mallet. And uh, Gabriel is Mahetinha, which means little hammer. Anyway, uh, this will be his debut. He won on the Contender Series last September. Uh, choked is, out. Is, is, that, is that sorry? Is little hammer in Brazil? Is that like like the ball peen hammer? Is that what that is? Yeah, I, I think so. It's like the yeah the ball peen hammer, like the the little craft hammer that my wife uses, like when she's like making something. <laughs> yeah, like uh, <clears throat> ironically, since he's the bigger brother physically, you know, like he's way bigger than than Ismael. He's like taller, a weight class up. Anyway, so is that uh, like a, a, like when when a big guy's called tiny? Exactly. You know, like you, you you have like a pack of like Polynesian dudes. There's always some like 400 pound guy in the back named Junior. Yeah, like that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> he is 13 and 0, uh, perfect 13 and 0 in his mixed martial arts career. Uh, he came up through a bunch of Brazilian promotions. Uh, won a couple times in LFA in Brazil. Uh, choked out Trey Waters on the Contender Series last September. You know, again, you know, half the people on this undercard it seems like fought uh, in the contender series in, uh, in September of last year, but uh, he is going to have Lazez waiting for him. The 35 year old Tunisian is 11 and two since coming to the UFC uh, during the summer of COVID. He was one of the guys, he was one of the fight Island guys. Uh, you know, he came to the UFC through uh, middle Eastern promotions like brave CF and UAE warriors debuted at UFC on ESPN cater versus Ige. Uh, where he took a unanimous decision over Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. That was one of the fights where uh, Al-Hassan also missed weight. So I think Lazez picked up uh, two perform or two fight of the night bonuses uh, since Al-Hassan wasn't eligible to win. 
But from there, things just kind of fizzled out. I mean, that summer of 2020 was where a lot of, you know, well, that summer and fall of 2020 is when a lot of current stars in the sport really stepped onto the stage. I'm You're thinking of Hamza Shamayev, obviously, Kevin Holland. Munir Lazez could have, should have been one of them, but he's only fought twice since then uh, through a variety of problems. Uh, you know, he had COVID. He had visa issues getting to the States. Uh, he had opponents pull out him. He fought once in 2021, uh, got knocked out by Warley Alvis, and then uh, fought most recently last April, where he took a unanimous decision over Angelusa at UFC on ESPN, Luque versus Muhammad 2. Odds here, fairly close, but uh, Bonfim is the minus 190 favorite to get it done in his UFC debut. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this on <laughs> Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you didn't see the face Keith just made there, but that is the the Keith can't believe this line face. Yeah. And man, I can't wait until we get further up this card. I've got some for you. Anyway, I pick them. Keith Keith made a little bit of a face. I'm guessing that it just goes to the underrated, never overrated power of having that zero in the in the L column. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. And because again. His brother is on a 12-fight win streak, so they're effectively yeah. on an equally good run. But because we've seen Ismael lose, we don't have to we don't have to use our imagination to see to, to know what it would sure. look like. And part of it is probably people just <clears throat> a little bit wary about Munir Lazez fighting once a year for the last three years, getting plunked in one of his fights and being 35 years old now. But uh I mean, tell me how you see this fight going. And is there any last gasp of upside left in the Tunisian sniper? Yeah, it's tough because uh, I, yeah, I understand that Munir Lazes. He's had moments where he did not look good. Like he looked extremely flat in his fight against Worley Alves, and you know he was taken out in you know two minutes. But when he's been on his game, he, he's he's good. He's a great athlete. Again, thirty five years old, so you're a little more concerned and not see him as much. But he's got some high output. He's quick hands, very fluid with his striking, a lot of diversity in his strikes. He has this really great, like, long uh, up jab that he'll double up at times. He unloads good power shots in, in you know, combinations inside the pocket. Uh, he isn't a one-and-done power puncher, but he has some sting. I, I love that he works the body. Nice kicks up the middle, quick high kick. I love his step in knees. He doesn't like pressure, uh, and he can just back up and cover because he really likes to work from space. So that's a huge issue. I wish he'd rather like circle a little bit more. But you know, a guy like Al Hassan, you know, had trouble putting him out, hurting him. So I, I you know, I, I kind of look at that Wiley Alves is is uh, maybe like the uh, what's the word I'm looking for the exception to like you know this guy having a bad gym when a guy like Al Hassan could couldn't put him out. Uh, he's got a strong clinch game. He he will get in in the clinch and just destroy with elbows and knees. He'll sneak in a takedown or two. If he's taken down, he showed ability to get right back up. And he's got a good s submission defense. Now Bonfin, like I said, I th definitely think he's the better of the two brothers from the film that I've seen. Again, when you have 15 fights, you can't dig it as deep as as I would like to. And and I don't do my contender series previews where that's why I really knew the guy as well. But 
Uh, he's 25, so I love that. He's really young. What I've seen, I've liked. He's got high output, fast hands, really good check left hook. Uh, he's a really good counter striker where he can, slips and rips. He does some sometimes pull his head straight back, which I don't like, and he does keep his chin up a little high for my liking. Uh, but he's well-rounded, too, when he gets the fight to the ground. And, again, I haven't seen too much, so I haven't seen exactly how he gets it, but he does like a lot of like uh, uh, snatch singles and stuff. But he's got 10 submission wins, so he, he and he's only 25. So, again, yes, I do think the O is worrisome, but what I've seen of Bonfim, he looks good and he looks fast. So, I, I like I said, I like what I've seen about him, but I also like Munir. He's good. I think both guys have hands. I think both guys. Uh, I think Munir has a little bit of a ground game that he doesn't get enough credit for. Well, obviously, uh, based on the submissions that Bonfin has, he's he's definitely a threat there. I think we might have a war on our hands, which was really surprising. Why Bonfin is is so you know such a big favorite? Uh, this is a really tough test for someone in their UFC debut, but I. Again, I don't check the odds because I don't want to be influenced. So I thought I was going with an upset hand, but I can't, apparently I'm not. I'm going with a big favorite. Uh, I was going to take Bonfin by split decision. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, leaning Bonfin as well. From what I've seen of his fights, and that's basically his two, you know, obviously his contender series performance, his couple of uh, most recent fights in LFA, and then I think an early fight in Aspera, uh, fighting championship i agree with you on the assessment of his skills and it, i'm leaning bonfim as well and with me it's more a vote of not too much confidence in where lizez is right now because like you say he's shown flashes of brilliance but he's also he, he, you know he's also just like really come out flat in one of his ufc performances He's had a couple of long layoffs. He's had, you know, withdrawals from fights for various reasons. And his performance against Warley Owls was so flat that it makes me wonder if, you know, he'd had a bad camp because of, like, health issues or whatever other distractions. And that's going to make me wonder about him, like, every time he fights from now on out, uh, at least until he, you know, strings a bunch of wins in, in a row. So, yeah, it, ironically considering that, again, he debuted in the UFC like almost three years ago, I don't feel like I know that much more about what Munir Lezez is going to look like in the cage this Saturday than Gabriel Bonfim. Uh, and I'm going to lean towards Bonfim as the younger, fresher fighter that is like still clearly improving. So uh, give me Bonfim by decision as well. We head now to what is... Barring something truly unforeseen in one of the three light heavyweight fights on the card, the only heavyweight fight on the UFC 283 card, as Shamil Abdurakhimov will attempt to keep Jailton Almeida from continuing to wreck shop in the UFC. Uh, Abdurakhimov, the 41-year-old Dagestani, is 20-7 and overall. He is 5-5 five and five in the UFC. Uh, had a... Good amount of promise, some upside. Uh, Yo crept onto the edges of the top 10 a few years ago, but he is currently on a three-fight losing streak, though in his defense, those three losses have come against Curtis Blades, Chris Dawkins, and Sergey Pavlovich. Uh, 
The most recent of those, the Pavlovich fight, was at uh, UFC Fight Night Volkov versus Aspinall last March. That would be the first UFC London card of 2022, where he got knocked out late in the first round. Uh, prior to that, uh, you have to go all the way back to September of 2021 for the Dawkins fight, where he got knocked out in the second round. Dawkins was at that time, uh, you know, one of the hottest up and coming prospects in the UFC heavyweight division. Prior to that was a two-year layoff after the loss to Blades. Uh, before that, I mean, he had won three in a row against Chase Sherman, Andre Arlovsky, and Martin Tybura. The last of those, the Tybura fight, is the one that kind of got him uh, up onto the rankings radar. But it has been a rough, rough sledding for him ever since. And not likely to get a whole lot better against Almeida. The 31-year-old Brazilian is 17-2 and overall. He is 3-0 since joining the UFC out of the 2021 season of Dana White's Contender Series. 3-0 uh, in the UFC, 2-0 at heavyweight, or at least north of 205. Uh, after knocking out Danilo Marquez in his light heavyweight debut, he took a heavyweight fight against Parker Porter, choking him out in the first round. And then last September at UFC 279, took on Anton Turkali in what was effectively a heavyweight fight, but it was officially a 220-pound catch weight, and he choked out Turkali in the first round as well. So he'll look to make it uh, four in a row in the UFC, three in a row at heavyweight-ish, and in a division where I used to joke that anyone is four fights away from a title shot. That may not be the case anymore, but uh, certainly he would be knocking on the outer edges of the rankings if he gets another dominant win here. He is heavily favored to do so. Almeida, on a card full of some pretty wide lines, is the biggest favorite. Uh, Almeida is minus 900. Abdurakimov plus <laughs> 625. Sorry. I get it, man. <clears throat> and nine, minus 900, that wasn't even the median. That was like the best line I could find. A lot of them were over minus 1,000. And I get it. Yeah. I, I, I do get it. Because yeah, he's, he should be a huge favorite, but holy Christ. Al, Al, Almeida looks like an absolute just engine of destruction at 205, 220, whatever you want to put him at. I yeah, mean, but this is still heavyweight. It's like, still heavyweight. You can still clonk with one shot. You can still clonk with one shot, but if you were looking for the heavyweight least likely to probably do that to him, yeah. it is 41-year-old Shamil Abdurakhimov. I, I mean... I'm always going to be nervous of a massive favorite like that at heavyweight because, as you mentioned, just about everybody has power. And Abdurakimov does. Abdurakimov has, has – I mean, he's hurt people badly on the feet and knocked them out. But at 41, and with his physical decline being what it has been ever since returning from the Blades loss in 2021, he might be the guy in the division who is least well-positioned to actually use that power against someone like Almeida. Is, is what I'll say, because Abdurakimov is going to come into this fight probably outweighing Almeida by like 35 pounds. Almeida weighed in at like 217 for the Turkali fight, and he didn't weigh in at much more than that for the Parker Porter fight. And despite that, and despite Abdurakimov being a Dagestani wrestler, I bet I, I'm betting you that this fight is going to end up with him tossing. Abdurakimov across the cage at least once just getting in doing some sort of hip throw and just like flinging a 260 pound man like it ain't nothing uh Almeida's 
physical gifts, just his uh, his speed, his explosion, his coordination, his brute strength have been something to behold at uh, in, in all three of his fights so far in, in the UFC. He describes himself as, as a grappler. Um, I forget what it said he wanted to do. I, I think he said he wanted to be the light heavyweight Fabricio Verdum, but then he decided he didn't want to be any kind of light heavyweight because, I mean, who do, who doesn't like eating? Uh, but he's one of those guys that it's the Jacare type thing where, yeah, I'm a grappler. I came up in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but just because of my physical gifts, I've taken to wrestling better than a lot of other guys. Like we just talked about Luan Lacerda as being kind of like that old school jiu-jitsu guy that doesn't really have the athleticism or the background to, you know, have the kind of like offensive uh, wrestling, the kind of like uh, the wealth of ways to bring the fight to the floor. Almeida does. And on top of that, he has super long reach, tons of power. Uh, this is this is just a brutal squash match. Uh, give me Almeida to finish this thing in the first round. And yeah, I I, I think he's going to sting Abdurakima early and often on the feet. Abdurakima is going to be hurt, probably crash in and try to clinch. Almeida is going to hip toss him <clears throat> with some kind of high amplitude throw, you know, land inside control and either pound him out or choke him out from there. Yeah, give me pound him out. Almeida by first round TKO, ground and pound. Yeah. Um, wow. Not, I still can't wrap my head around 900. Uh, I, I knew he'd be a massive favorite. Right? I was thinking like negative uh, 420 or something like that. 900. That's a, that's, that's insane. Uh, especially considering this is still a step up in competition for Almeida. Like this is the, you know, at least on paper, the best opponent he's ever faced, which is, which is surprising. I mean, Abdurakhimov is a massive heavyweight. He he's always been a decent athlete. Again, I do think he's declining, and he's you know on this losing streak. But he's lost to some really good guys, so uh, I I think he's slowing down, and um, he definitely he's a bit of a point fighter. He wants to fight from the outside, uh, use long range shots. He does his best, uh, you know, just winning in volume. Uh, he 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 makes a mistake of throwing a lot of single shots. And uh, he, he likes to like do the fade back shots, but he just kind of avoids and then kind of re-counters. Uh, he likes that fade back uppercut, which will get him knocked out. And and, and Almeida might be the guy. Uh, a lot of my notes, I don't, I, I don't. It sounds repetitive because we we actually I think we broke down this fight because it was scheduled before. Because mm-hmm. uh, uh, I feel like my notes, I'm, it just seems. Well, I mean, I wrote it, so that should be <laughs> sounded familiar to me. But uh, he isn't a powerful wrestler, even though he is a Dakistani. Uh, he's not like he doesn't use a lot of offensive wrestling. It's more of a want to get inside, clinch and grind you. Uh, if oh, if dude. taken down, good. They, they were supposed to fight on the uh, card that ended up being Diaz versus Ferguson, but so much shit went wrong on that card that everybody kind of forgot that we lost uh, Almeida versus Abdurakimov. Okay. Yeah, but it was uh, Abdurakimov had like visa issues. But anyway, okay. go ahead. Yeah, um, he. Like you got he's gonna grind. He's not gonna like shoot on your hips. Uh, if taken down, he he because of his size, he is hard to hold on. He has a little bit of like a Derek Lewis thing where he gets up. Uh, he does have four career submissions, so he he can catch submission. I, I I would be extremely surprised to catch submissions on on Almeida though. Um, but you got to be worried about his chin. Is he's been blasted three fights in a row, 
knocked out quick. Uh, again, Curtis Blades, Chris Dawkins, and in that time, Chris Dawkins lost, looked better than it did now. And then obviously, Sergey Pavlovich has done the opposite. It, it looks like a better loss than it did at that time. Those guys are studs. Um, and he's had a long layoff, so he's had some time to rest it up. Now, Almeida, it, it's funny because you talk about him all, being a a smaller like weight guy, but he, he doesn't look like he should be a small heavyweight. No. You know, because he's got long arms, 79-inch reach. That, <clears throat> he's definitely a really good athlete, more of an athlete than a technician, but he has this raw power, even being that he's probably weighing in at like 220, 225 at the max. At heavyweight, he still has he's still one of the bigger punchers in the in the division. Uh, I, he throws a lot of kicks, likes teep kicks, he likes calf kicks. He doesn't care if you grab his leg. That's why he throws a lot of teep kicks because he's so good on the ground. Uh, he's a strong wrestler, nice penetration step, uh, strong clinch game. Uh, I go back to like that uh, Nasradinov fight. That you, you know, that's a good sambo practitioner, and he just penetrated step, picked him up, slammed him, and. When he hits the ground, you talk about you know Fabricio Verdum game. Yeah, it it reminds me of him because amazing control, smothers on top, slowly works it inch by inch uh, to secure a position. Actually, he's more he, he more is like a jockeray, as you, as you said, where uh, you know obviously Verdum's the credentials are there, but I mean like the style of just controlling, slowly working. He has some great back takes. He has ten submission wins. He, if you put him on his back, that's where he has the Verdum style where he can get submissions off his back. Uh, I've seen him throw a lot of BJJ up instead of trying to get back to the feet, which uh, usually is a negative, but someone as good as him, uh, he kind of gets a pass. Uh, he, But though he has hit some pretty cool sweeps, I am worried about his, his cardio. He's only been to a decision once in his career, but that's because he's a submission threat and he has brutal ground and pound. I mean, we saw that in the Danilo Marquez fight. Again, I think this is a step up in competition for Almeida. However, this really feels like a passing of the torch moment. If he lands on the feet, uh, he could put him out there. If he goes to the ground, he should he should be a massive favorite if he hits the ground. Uh, I think he's. I think we got a little bit of both. Like I think he's going to land some big shots, maybe put down uh, Abdurrahimov, and then he just swarms him on the ground, uh, beats him up before locking the submission. I say he gets a submission. I want to go first round, but I'm going to go second. I'll say second round submission. All right, there. But nonetheless, uh, two pretty strong picks for uh, Dialton Almeida to pay out on those those long, long odds. Next up, it is the lightweights once again as Tiago Moises welcomes short-notice opponent Melchizael Costa to the UFC. Moises, the 27-year-old Brazilian, is 16-6 and six overall. He is 5-4 and four since joining the UFC out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. He won his last time out, choked out Christos Diagos in the first round at UFC on ESPN, Sarukian versus Gamrot back in June. That allowed him to snap a two-fight losing streak against Islam Makachev and Joel Alvarez. He'll look to make it two in a row against uh, Costa, who steps in on short notice for Guram Kutudaladze. Costa, the 26-year-old Brazilian, is 19-5 and overall. Uh, he fought most recently in the headliner of LFA 147 in Brazil, where he knocked out Jose Clayton de Mello uh, in the third round. Considering uh, the short-notice nature of the bout, considering uh, Costa's relative uh, 
you know, unproven status at the top level. The line here, surprisingly close to me. Moises, minus 300, uh, Costa plus 250. Uh, Keith, I'm definitely going to flip this one to you first because of my relative lack of uh, of tape on, on Costa. But I've got to say, I was surprised that this line was as close as it is. Uh, I mean, Moises definitely, I mean, he regressed to the mean a little bit from the guy that, like, uh, got all the way into the top 10. But he is nonetheless a proven guy against UFC level fighters with some wins over some borderline contenders. And yeah, he, absolutely. Nothing I've seen in uh, Costa's background, like his fights in LFA in like future, not even top level Brazilian promotion, but kind of mid-level Brazilian promotions. I, I've seen nothing that leads me to believe that he has sticking power at the UFC level, let alone against a guy who might be a top 15 fighter on talent in Moises. And I was reminded, and I'm reminded every time we preview a Moises fight, he is so young. He is still just 26 years old. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, I mean, I, I would guess like 32 or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, let me know if you see anything different in Costa than I did and how you see this fight going. Yeah, my one issue with Moises is, is on the feet is that he can have some low output sometimes, kind of a boxer that's trying to land one big shot a lot, a lot of like lead hooks and stuff. And uh, I, I don't like that. When he when he's good, when we have the good boxing, he keeps everything in, inside. He's got some pretty quick hands, uh, a lot of kicks, kicks to all parts of the body. I like when he mixes up his striking and his takedown attempts together. I, I put him as like an above average wrestler. He kind of struggles to like power through the hips, get to that second level that like a, a you know a, a wrestler who's drilled takedowns over and over again. He also shoots sometimes from too far away, uh, and and that's fine because he he'll pull a guard or something. I shouldn't say it's fine, but it's it's <laughs> he's okay with that because he will pull a guard. He's a very good Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner. He's got six submission wins. Um, we saw him catch Michael Johnson. Uh, with an ankle lock, he almost caught Bobby Green uh, with the similar move. Uh, so he's obviously a threat everywhere now. Uh, definitely a step down in competition to uh, Melquizel Costa. I'm sorry if I pronounce his first name wrong. Uh, from Kutalasi, um, Kutalasi is good. Yeah. So that was that was a definitely a the fight. You know, two guys on the same level. Uh, Casa, he has a lot of experience for a guy making his UFC debut. So um, I don't think the moment would be too big for him. Uh, he, he's a southpaw with some pretty good striking, a good jab. He throws a lot of combinations, decent pop, nice kicks to the body, especially something that works well against an orthodox striker being from the southpaw stance. Uh, a lot of cheap kicks, really stepping knees. He'll throw some spinning attacks. He will wrestle. He's a submission threat. Uh, busy ground and pound, but he's a weak defensive wrestler, and that's not what you want against a guy like Moises. I've always thought, like, so I, I think, and I've, I've preached this a million times, I think we have the best rankings, uh, top 15 rankings in, in the entire world. Uh, that said, I always thought that Moises was, was a little too high on our rankings. I, I, I don't view him as a top 15 guy. And I think Costa's solid all around. Like I, I, I'm viewing this a little bit tighter than you are, because I, I do think he he's a, a good addition to the UFC. And if he can keep it on the on the feet, he can have moments and he can scrap. And he's probably the harder puncher of the two. But 
if Moses gets his takedowns, he should be able to win on top. And that's where I'm going with this. I think he will get some takedowns. I think he'll ca- cause some scrambles. Uh, I think Coster's tough. I don't think he's going to get submitted, but I think Moises is going to put him in some tough t- situation. We'd have like Moises backpacking him and stuff like that. Give me Moises by decision. Yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm with you here. I, I have Moises by decision as well. You know, I probably do see it a little more lops, uh, you know, lopsided, but uh, I agree that we now know that Moises, at least, you know, in 2021, was not the top 10 fighter we thought he might have been. We know that he's definitely he definitely belongs here, but in a division that probably has 60 or 65 fighters in it right now, there's a lot of room between 15 and 65, and I'm not sure exactly where in there Moises falls. So if he makes quick work of Costa, that tells us one thing. If this ends up being a tooth and nail scrap or like a split decision where one of the judges and you know some of us think that Costa won. Well, that might tell us something about both guys as well. Uh, at any rate, I'm more excited for this fight than I was when you started talking, so the UFC should give you a job. There you go. Is it, is it president coming open anytime soon? Apparently not, because <laughs> that would just hurt the sport too bad. It would hurt the sport too much, yeah. yeah. Second from the top of the 10-fight prelim card of UFC 283 is a middleweight matchup between Gregory Rodriguez and Bruno Ferreira. Rodriguez, the 30-year-old Brazilian, is 13-4 overall. He is 4-4 since joining the UFC as a veteran of Dana White's Contender Series, uh, though he was not signed out of there because he lost. Uh, Got... Knocked out by Jordan Williams, of all people. That was back in September of 2020. He went back to uh, the regionals, won two fights in LFA, stepped up to the UFC in summer of 2021. And ever since then, it's been a pretty good ride. He has wins over Dusko Totorovic and Junyong Park, a very close split decision loss to Armin Petrosian, and bounced back from that with uh, knockout wins over Julian Marquez and Chidi Njokawani. The most recent of those, the Njokawani fight, was last September at UFC Fight Night Sanhagen versus Song. He'll be looking to make it three in a row at the uh, expense of Fajera, who makes his UFC debut. We knew he was going to be here because uh, he won on the Contender Series last September. We did not know it was going to be now. Rodriguez had been scheduled to fight Brad Tavares on this card. Tavares withdrew. Uh, Fajera steps in and gets a whole hell of a lot more uh, to deal with in his first UFC fight than he might otherwise have gotten. Nonetheless, here he is, 30-year-old Brazilian, a perfect 9-0 in his mixed martial arts career. He knocked out Leon Aliu on the Contender Series back on September 20th. It was about 90 seconds. And uh, here he steps in as a moderate underdog, but maybe not as big an underdog as you might uh, expect. Rodriguez, minus 330. Fajera, plus 275. Keith, uh, I mean, I know that you don't do the pre-fight stuff for the Contender Series like you did back in, you know, like 2018, 2019. But uh, like me, you watch the, uh, I mean, the, the episodes themselves. Uh, I mean... Yeah. Of, of the people that were, you know, on that episode, I mean, we had Raul Rosas Jr. very memorably. <laughs> bad, bad, the answer is Bo Nickel. 
Okay, just making sure. Like he wasn't even on the, that. I don't, the, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is always Bo Nickel. Yeah, yeah. he wasn't even on that episode, and, and Bo Nickel was like the best prospect from that <laughs> oh, episode. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. You were actually talking about that exact episode. Yeah, that. I'm yeah. Sorry. Was, <laughs> for some reason, you said episode. I was thinking the whole yeah. season. Well, no, I mean, I mean, that was the same episode where like Austin Lane finally made his way to the UFC after being like you know, yeah, Greg Hardy's like heavy bag a couple yeah. of years ago. Uh, did you see anything out of? Fajera that made you like overly excited about his upside in the UFC. Cause I mean, I'm going to ask you whether you think he beats Rodriguez, but you could think he's going to get crushed by Rodriguez and still think he's a pretty damn good prospect. Just yeah. might be too much too soon. So yeah, I, I, I yeah, I agree. I think the answer could be both. I, I just like, um, like I picked uh, McKinney to run through Bonfin, but I, mm-hmm. I, I still think Ismael Bonfin's a pretty good addition to the UFC. So um, it's like, we're going to pick a loser in the main event. I still think both guys are pretty good, <laughs> you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, for him, he's got, he's got some talent. Um, he's a guy that he, he shows a lot of different looks by constantly switching stances. Uh, he can fight out of both stances. I do prefer him in the southpaw stance. He's got huge power. I mean, he really springs into his shots. His short right hook from the southpaw stance is probably the best blow that I've seen him throw. When he springs into his shots, he tends to lead with his chin up, so that's concerning. And he is open to leg kicks. Uh, he doesn't check at all. But he can also get the fight to the ground. He's a submission threat. He has three submission wins. Um, questionable cardio. Uh, he's never been past the second round. That's because he starches everybody. This is a guy that he, he just – this wasn't the original opponent. They took fight on short notice. So it was kind of like last-minute scrambling. I think it was added. Uh, it was supposed to be Brad Tavares, who's like the opposite. We've seen so much film of Brad Tavares. Yeah. So um, – you move to Gregor Rodriguez. You know this is this is like this could be like a what would they call it? like a trap trap game in football or something when you like yeah. you beat a good divisional rival then you face like the worst team in the league and you lose because you know he should win this fight. So how I about mean, that uh, Cowboys versus Tampa Bay game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean he 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 might he might be the like the biggest middleweight. This side of Alex Bahia, like he's huge. Uh, he he comes out like a like a man shot out of a cannon, throwing bombs. He's got power in both of his hands. He likes to slide in the pocket and unload big looping power shots. He has shown his solid shit. I mean, he's eaten some big big shots due to his lack of defense. But besides having, I mean, like he he doesn't do too much stuff. Technically, it's more just like pure aggression. I'm a great athlete. I can hit really hard. Uh, but when he starts grappling, he gets to the clinch. He's a big dude. He can battle in the clinch. Uh, he's got some upper body takedowns, some trip takedowns, some throws. Uh, if he wants to shoot from the outside, he's got some good penetration step. Though I've seen him at times kind of duck his head and just shoot without a setup, which which is concerning, and someone's got to hurt him for that. But if he grabs your legs, he's shown such physical strength. He can just slam you. Strong topside grappler mean ground and pound on top. He is a submission threat. Uh, the one thing about his submission is I, I hate that he will rush his submission. He'll, he's willing to lose a position to to chase a submission when I don't like. And uh, because of he rushes submissions and he throws so much heat on on the feet that if the fight goes late, he tends to fade. Obviously, if you come, if you fight the way he does, uh, I think this is going to be a violent fight. Both guys couldn't land a single strike and end this fight. I don't trust either's defense, 
so I expect this fight to end early, but I'm going to go with Rodriguez. I mean, he's he's already starched better guys uh, at, at this point in the career. I, I should say better because I actually do think Ferreira would be a good, but I mean, like, more established guys. So give me the guy that's, uh, you know, knocking on the door of, you know, the contender's room in the division. So uh, give me Rodriguez. I say he ends in the very first round. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on a, on a lot of this. And it, it is a bummer for Rodriguez that uh, he didn't get to face Tavares here because he is a guy, he, I think he actually is 14th or 15th in the shirt off rankings. Uh, and a win over Tavares. I mean, Tavares has been the gatekeeper to the top 10 in the UFC for like literally like six years now. Like Israel Adesanya beat Brad Tavares like in his first, uh, I think it was even his, his first headliner, but it was like, that was the fight that got Adesanya into the, in, into the top 10. Like he's been that guy forever. And instead, Rodriguez gets to step in and gets it. It's not a no win situation, but if he plunks Fajera, that's no more than expected. If he has a hard time with him, then like, you know, smart asses out in the peanut gallery are, are going to, you know, start saying he's overrated. It's, it, it, it's a tough, it's a tough situation for Rodriguez. Uh, I like your breakdown of Fajera. And for those who didn't see Fajera on the contender series or didn't see him in regional promotions in Brazil. And I don't blame you for that because most of his fights in Brazil were so low level that there's not even video available for a lot of it. But what Keith is too nice to say, and it's, it's rare for that. Keith is the guy that like talks around the ugly truth. I want to see Fajera after a couple cycles on USADA. Let me just put it that way. I mean, Fajera looks a lot like and fights a bit like Paulo Costa. Just this. I mean, that's that's the reason his gas tank is questionable. It's because he's an absolutely yoked dude who comes out like a house on fire. Uh, it'll be interesting to see like if his... Uh, if his physique and uh, aggression like look the same in this fight and in his next UFC fight, because we're talking about a guy again, who prior to the contender series, not only were all of his fights in Brazil, they were in like third tier Brazilian promotions. Like we're not even talking about like, like below jungle fight and pseudo Brazil below future and immortal. We're down to like Mr. Cage and like these things that like, uh, God, what was it? that? <laughs> I don't. I don't even want to like repeat the joke. Anyway, anyway, low level stuff. Uh, but even assuming that the version of Fajera that won on the Contender Series show, shows up, Rodriguez should be better than him everywhere, except well, not not even except because Rodriguez has massive one shot power too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. yeah. There's the chance that Fajera can catch Rodriguez, hurt him, but considering that Rodriguez comfortably navigated like 14 rounds of action with like Dusko Todorovic, Armin Petrosian and Chidi and Jokowani and like was never really seriously hurt. I don't think Fajardo is going to be the first guy to do it. Uh, Rodriguez, he might mess around on the feet, but if he knows what's good for him, he'll go the path of least resistance. He is a very, very good grappler and should be capable of getting Fajardo to the ground in advantageous positions where he can leverage that grappling. Give me Rodriguez uh, by, I'm going to say, second round submission, and he'll just, yeah, survive, advance, and maybe get a, you know, a ranked contender in his next fight. 
The top prelim at UFC 283 is a light heavyweight matchup between Mauricio Shogun Hua and Eeyore Poteria. Hua, the 41-year-old from Curitiba, Brazil, is 27-13-1 across a storied career. He is an even 11-11-1 in the UFC. He is on a two-fight losing streak, those being a... Uh, TKO lost due to submission to strikes against Paul Craig back in November of 2020. Then uh, a split decision loss to Ovin St. Preux at UFC 274 last May. Uh, he steps into the cage here in Rio de Janeiro for what is rumored, perhaps hoped by some, will be his retirement fight. And uh, across the cage from him will be Pateria. The 26-year-old Ukrainian is 18-3 overall. He is 0-1 since joining the UFC out of the 2021 season of Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, he debuted last July at UFC 277, got knocked out in the second round by Nick Negamariano. Despite that loss, uh, Poteria is a comfortable favorite here. He is minus 200. You can get the living legend at plus 170 if you're so inclined. Keith, I I don't know if I've had this rant before on one of our shows or just elsewhere, but Shogun Hua, I mean, obviously he's a legend. He's one of the most beloved fighters in uh, yeah. MMA history, but I feel as though he's in danger of being misremembered. I, I yeah, mean, if I, absolutely for, for anyone who was a fan at the time, they instantly go to the pride legend, the 24 yeah. year old phenom, the guy that won the 2005 Grand Prix. This is going to be Shogun's 24th UFC fight. He had 13 fights in pride. He has almost twice as many fights in the UFC as he had in pride. And wow. he is okay. He's one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time. Like sure dog. Absolutely. We put out our top 10 lists, uh, uh, you know, over the past month or so. <laughs> he's, he's hold on. Forget light heavyweight. He's one of the greatest fighters regardless. Yeah, of the class. He's one of the greatest fighters of all time, period. Like, I, I, and, and that's just, just, uh, he has announced this is his last fight. to come. Okay. Out. It is official. Cause okay. anyways, wow. <laughs> for what it's worth. And may retirements. I mean, yeah, I mean, Fedor's third last fight is coming up. Yeah, in a couple yeah. Of weeks. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I've, okay. seen, I've seen Lennon skin his last tour like 12 times. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <you know>. uh, <clears throat> he's, it's in, he's in danger of being misremembered because the lights were so bright in pride and just everything felt so momentous and earth shattering. But like sure dog, we ranked him as our fifth greatest light heavyweight of, of all time. And, I might move from there a spot or, or, sure. or in one direction or the other, but I thought that was reasonable. And but that's the, the glamour thing. division of MMA. Yeah, that's the glamour division of, of MMA. Yeah. Like, that put him behind Vanderlei, Chuck, Cormier, and Jones. Like, Vanderlei, Chuck, Cormier, Cormier and Jones. Okay. So Cormier was number two? Yeah. Cormier is tough to rank because he half is. his career is at – it's him and Kotor are both tough to rank because half their careers are in different weight classes. Yep. But, but yeah, here's the thing about. You know, you, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You know who should be way up there too? Hmm. The guy we got in the main event. I'm not talking about Jamal Hill. Glover, nope, yeah, absolutely. Especially if he wins. Especially if he wins again. Yeah. 
But sorry, finish but, your point. Well, okay, so we, we got we got Hua uh, fifth on our list of the greatest light heavyweights of all time. And depending on your opinion, you might have anywhere from, say, like third to seventh. If you cut off his career, if you started his career when he got upset by Forrest Griffin in his UFC debut, and a ton of fans, myself included, sort of wrote him off and said, okay, his knees are shot. He's never going to be the same. Oh, yeah, if you just take what he did after the, the Forrest fight, he might still be in the top 15. He has yeah. been one of he's been yeah, one of absolutely. the greatest and he's been one of the greatest light heavyweights in history twice. The dude has had two different careers that yeah. standing on their own could each get him into the top 15. And absolutely. if you even just cut him off after he lost the title to Jones, you know, John Jones steps up, beats Shogun. It's a relatively short notice fight. I mean, it's a one-sided, humiliating loss. Who gets thrashed, taps the mat. And a whole other boatload of fans writes off Shogun there. He's like, okay, the division's moved on. Shogun was a nice story. If you just take what he did after that, it's still pretty respectable. The guy, guy, I mean, you and I will, you know, mention people like Overeem and Arlovsky as people that found ways to stay competitive. There may be nobody ahead of uh, Shogun in terms of making adjustments and staying competitive as your body ages and betrays you. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, over him, I'll ask you the only other guy, the, 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 the guy I would put over Shogun for that is Glover Teixeira. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I mean, he's fighting for titles. He's winning titles. Yeah. Uh, but he's also been able to keep himself fairly healthy. Like that's one thing I'm always going to remember about Shogun is crazy injuries in in what ifs, what happens if he didn't have these injuries? What you know, where would he be? Would he be number one on this list? Would he be number two yeah. on this list? Where uh, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of people say all oh, pride and steroids and, and and very well that could be the case too. I don't I don't like accusing people of stuff that I don't know of, but I I understand like the longer you hang on, the worse it looks. I mean, the way people view BJ Penn, not all people, but a lot of people view BJ Penn, like a Tito Ortiz. Like mm-hmm. people forget. That at one time he was considered the pound pound best fighter in the world. Yep, he was the face of the UFC. He was the bad boy. He was a cool guy instead of like the goofy, you know, idiot. He was like the badass trash talking into MMA and all this. Uh, I think a guy like Kazushi Sakuraba at one time, what he was viewed as as the the Gracie Hunter, the one guy that was willing to step up and not only beat the Gracies, but you know, challenge Gracie, but beat the Gracie and beat them all. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and now viewed much differently after having losses. I don't, I don't think he even cracked our top 10. No. Yeah. And, yeah. and one time he would have been a, the nobody, he might've been our number one. Yeah. Like, so yeah, I, I think you make a good point. I really do. The difference to me is that, yeah, Glover is past 40 and he's still fighting at a top level. I mean, a much higher level than Shogun, but sure. Tashera is the same fighter he was 15 years ago. Like his basic skill set is the same. His approach yeah. is the same. Yeah, well, I, I think he's definitely a lot more grapple heavy now than he was when he first came on the scene. I mean, yeah, he, he was always a great grappler, but I mean, like, it, it's definitely shifted from being this, uh, you know, pocket boxer to definitely now he still throws into the pocket, mm-hmm. but definitely I want to get the fight to the ground, be a top side grappler. But it, it's more of his ability to sustain damage, learn how to recover, um, and put himself in the best position to win. Yeah. 
Uh, agreed. You know, like there's been a change in emphasis, you know, like I think he's become realistic about his chin and he's like, okay, I, I can't stand in the phone booth with, with these guys like I did when I was 29. Yeah. And, and another reason why I think he's been able to sustain a high level different than Shogun is Shogun. A lot of his game was aggression, explosion, uh, speed. Well, oh. that was never Glover Tishere's no. game. Even like the peak of uh, I don't want to say peak because it's peak sexy now, but yeah. um, when he like when he first fought John Jones for the title, he was known as this power boxing puncher, big puncher, biggest person to ever could crack John Jones, and and that was exaggerated. It was never he was never that big. I mean, obviously, yes, he has some knockouts, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like he was he was never Anthony Johnson. No, oh, he was never Shogun Hua. He was never like, Shogun. Like, no. like Shogun's got a lot more one punch power. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but- but yeah. but yeah, no, you're you're right. Like Shogun's game really er, in the early days ran on explosion and athleticism. I mean, the guy before his knees blew out that was doing like these flying stomps where he like cleared the cage ropes by a foot. <laughs> uh, yeah, he that like that ain't him anymore. Yeah. Like that guy is that guy is two generations of Shogun in the past. This is like Shogun like three, not even three point oh. There's like three point five where the wheels have finally fallen off. Uh, yeah, and I'll say this: if you're someone who's never experience because we're both old old men <laughs> you yeah. know if you're someone who did didn't grow this way you know you started watching during the Connor era and everything like that I, i'm not one of these guys who look down at people like that mm. like no we all started sometime i mean i, I envy i envy you because you can go watch a shogun who a highlight reel from pride for the first time and get your mind blown like i did in like 2004 yeah he is one of the most entertaining fighters ever yes. he was a uh like adjusting not not the 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 eat the shots but like that like yeah. caution to the wind i'm throwing everything and, and yeah you want to be a thing just put up shogun who pride highlights and and you'll see what we're talking about and doing that while blowing through the best fighters in the world in yeah, at least at the top one of the best weight classes yeah, yeah. 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 like, like what quentin jackson yeah crushing overeem arona jackson yeah yeah i always give arona a pass because he, he did have a war with vandalay right before that yeah. but yeah Still, still, yeah. yeah. Like he, he's Shogun's the man. I don't Shogun's know anybody who doesn't like Shogun. Some of exactly. been around this line, like you always have like somebody like, oh, I can't wait to see that. Like I don't know anybody who doesn't like Shogun. No, that's something that he and Tashera have in common. Like if you don't like him, something's wrong with you. Like yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, I mean, so I yeah, you you, you uh, straightened me on that. This is officially his retirement fight. I know he'd, he'd made noises about it. It against all odds it is in brazil you know we we had that ongoing civil unrest there there was reason to believe this thing might dude if this thing had happened in the apex can you imagine just how shitty that would be oh god over to in the apex shogun in the oh i'm so glad yeah. I'm so especially glad. shogun wins if yeah. shogun gets a, a knockout which he could this is the opponent that he could yeah if he gets a knockout or submission or something like that and you don't have the brazilian crowd going crazy like I, if Shogun wins, I want it to be one of those moments where they just the, the, get the get the guys in the red jackets out of the way, let them jump on top of the cage, let them run up to the top. Of, remember, remember when uh, Jose Aldo uh, won in Brazil and he ran to the top, like yeah. all the way to like the third deck. Like let him run up to the deck and have people around them carry. Like have twenty minutes of him getting carried around, kissing babies and shit. Like it's yeah. Shogun, let him do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm 100% on board for this, and that sounds like a beautiful way 
for this thing to end. The question is how it's really going to end. And for, for who Shogun is, the, the UFC has to strike a balance. And I think this might be about a, as winnable a fight as they could fi- find for him without signing somebody new that doesn't belong in the UFC. Because what they yeah. found is a youngish middling prospect who has yet to prove he belongs, but isn't a complete chump. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of wish they'd take that like guy who doesn't deserve me in the UFC, but has a mouth and would like talk. Yeah. Like, when we, when we get to a, a fighters who physically are on their last legs, pun fully intended in the case of Shogun, yeah. you know, like on, on these previews, I'll, I'll sometimes try to boil them down. Like, you know, for a, a year or two there, I said, what Jim Miller has left at this stage in his career is opportunistic grappling in about seven minutes of cardio. And <clears> he must have heard that because then he started knocking people out out of nowhere. So I, I learned my lesson there. But tell me. What does Shogun have left? What does he do that's dangerous to opponents Nothing. right now? Nothing. Um, I'm I'm done with Shogun, and I, I don't mean that as an insulting way. Like, it's not Shogun anymore. It's not, to me, it's just Mauricio Hua. That Shogun, you know, I don't want to watch 41-year-old Shogun fight. Uh, I, I was much more enjoying us reminiscing about him knocking out Alistair Overeem or beating up Rampage or something like that. The dude has taken ungodful amount of damage inside the octagon plus ungodly amount of injuries on top of like just the the damage, you know, the, to the bones and the in the and the muscles and the brain that you take in the cage damage, but just that training and plus a decade at shoot box back yeah, when back when we didn't know like hey, you shouldn't spar like Shogun and Vandalay Silva and uh, Ninja Hua and uh, who else was around? Cyborg like, Santos. And so, yeah. D- in, Pele. They were all there. Yeah. Uh, surreal to body and all this. Like, don't just put on the gloves and just throw everything you can to murder somebody. And that's not yeah. good training. It's not like we're trained harder than everybody. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like doing hard sparring with like no headgear, like a week yeah, yeah, before yeah, a fight yeah, yeah, was yeah. not a, not yeah, such a great idea after all. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a wimp if you put headgear on. Um, <laughs> so the guy was always too tough for his own good. His output has completely faded, uh, which, which was, was like 180 of what he was before he just come around crazy. He can't, he can't fight. He, he's been smart to like not fade at that. You ask me, what can he still, I, he still has pop. Um, which, you know, they say is always the last thing they go for an aging fighter, but his speed is really bad. I mean, he looks like he's in slow motion out there. Uh, he, he, <laughs> it looks like, like if you're illegally streaming a pay-per-view, which I'm, I'm not promoting that. So don't say I told you to do that. But uh, if you're legally streaming a pay-per-view while Shogun is, is fighting, uh, you might have to like refresh your screen a couple of times before you realize like, Oh wait, wait, this isn't in slow motion. It, it didn't, it didn't freeze. <laughs> That's just how Shogun fights now. Uh, he he doesn't kick anymore. He, his offensive grappling is gone. He was never a strong wrestler. Like he was never a strong takedown guy. Uh, his you know wrestling. His offensive wrestling is is always been a weakness, but it's gotten worse. His submission skills has is evaporated. I'll say he's still tough to submit. Uh. 
I mean, if he ends up on top, which is, you know, like a Paul Craig type of situation where, you know, a scramble happens, he's on top, he can still do some ground and pound. So, like, maybe he, yeah, maybe we get some, a slap, a sloppy grappling match where he ends, gets times on top and it, it, it looks like a, uh, an 8U youth wrestling match where kids are reaching back and doing all this stuff and scrambling and, and, but elite skills. No, it, 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 it's not there, and it's not there for a while. Uh, now, his opponent, you want me to jump into his opponent? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, now his opponent, uh, Ihor Pateria, I, I'm sorry yeah. if I say his, his name wrong. it Pateria. Yeah, he's he's only 26 years old, so he's at that point where he can still improve. He's a southpaw. His hands are pretty quick. I like that he throws combinations. He does drop his hands, so his strikes can kind of be looping. He's got some sting on his shot, but he's definitely not like a huge knockout guy. He has a lot of defense holes. He keeps his chin high in the air. Uh, he will grind a little bit in the clinch, and he will wrestle a little bit. He has six submission wins, uh, but everything he did, like he looked, like he gassed out quickly against uh, Negan Mariano. Mm-hmm. So, one, I'm really surprised that the retirement fight is on the prelims. Uh, despite being in his home country, being everything he's done for the sport, I, I'm surprised it didn't open up the pay per view uh, main card. They did it with you know Frank Yeager recently and stuff. Uh, I, I, I was surprised by that. Uh, I thought he should have probably jumped Walker Craig. Not not that like this obviously as a magnitude uh, in the rankings as those guys do, but uh, and not, I just think like sometimes you just there's, there's a handful of guys that you give that to. Shogun's one of them. Pateria is bottom of the barrel light heavyweight. So if this is a winnable fight, add in Brazil, you know, and the, the motion of the fans, maybe the pressure gets to Pateria and he doesn't, you know, he panics a little bit, makes a mistake. I think about um, uh, Stephen, uh, what's his name? Uh, Stephen Pierce against Joe, Joe Lazan in Boston. I was there and it was like, now in hindsight, you're like, how do you lose that fight against that version of Joe Lazan? But, you know, when everyone's rooting against you and Brazil obviously have the legendary crowds, maybe that gets. But if if that doesn't and it's just the skills, I say he beats Hua to the punch. I say he beats up Hua for 15 minutes. Hua has shown some insane toughness. I actually think he's going to make it to the decision, but I think he's going to lose the decision. I think uh, Pretoria is going to end uh, a tremendous, one of the all-time great careers in, in Shogun Hua. I'm with you on this one 100%, and everything I have to add to it just is going to make it more depressing because I can see Pateria like hurting Hua early, just again, like you said, beating him to the punch, marking him up. And then I can see Pateria starting to gas in the second round, and Hua wants to step on the gas wants to get the comeback win and just there isn't he doesn't have enough left and it just ends up being kind of a depressing and dispiriting decision loss for for Hua. you know because yeah. I, I thought about this i was like when is the last time shogun Hua looked good enough that i would have felt comfortable taking him over taking him to beat oh, the area i'm like i'm like 2018 when he knocked out tyson pedro in the third round because 
Pedro. And it wasn't going good for him at first. I, well, no, that I, I saw that fight kind of like I see this one going, but who had enough to be able to step on the gas in 2018 and finish. I mean, Pedro's looked better since he's been back, but I mean, he was a marginal fighter in 2018. That's yeah. Pateria. And this time, who is just not going to have uh, enough to, to come back and win this? I'm not happy saying it, but, uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about it on the recap if that's how it happens. And if he wins, then we'll just both be, like, praying that the the retirement sticks. And, he, and he's not yeah. in the press conference and like, I could do this for another five years. You know, <laughs> you know it'd be good that it's his last fight. He just goes, F it. I don't care what you saw. I'm, it's my last fight. I don't care. Spend me all you want. And just <laughs> juices to the gills. Just just gets that special horse meat, and he just goes it down. <laughs> He's got like these big lats and stuff. He looks like I, he looks like a Brazilian Brock Lesnar or something. Like I don't care. <laughs> I don't. I don't care. I'd love to see it. The five fight main card of UFC 283 opens up with a light heavyweight matchup between Paul Craig and Johnny Walker. Craig, the 35 year old Scott, is 16 five and one overall. He's eight five and one in the UFC. He is coming off a loss. He dropped a unanimous decision to Volkan Uzdemir at uh, UFC London 2 back in July. Prior to that, he had won four in a row over uh, Gaji Murad Antigulov, Shogun Hua, Jamal Hill, and Nikita Krylov to propel himself uh, you know, at least into the outer reaches of the light heavyweight top 10. Uh, he'll be looking to uh, reestablish his position there against Walker. The 30-year-old Brazilian, by way of Scotland, by way of Ireland. I guess this fight is sort of Scotland versus Ireland. Anyway, uh, he's 19-7 and seven overall. He is 5-4 and four since joining the UFC at, out of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series Brazil. He won his last outing. It was a first-round submission of Iwan Kutalaba at UFC 279 in September. Prior to that, he had lost back-to-back -back fights against Tiago Santos and Jamal Hill. Odds on this one, uh, favor Walker. He is minus 190, Craig plus 160. Keith, these, to me, are two of the harder fighters to place in the light heavyweight division uh, based on their resume, based on their output over the last two or three years. But to me, Craig still feels like an overachiever. Like at 35, I don't think he's adding new wrinkles to his skill set anymore. Like uh, I, I do think he's a better. Yeah. I, I, I think he's a better striker than he was five years ago, but he's still not. He's not a plus striker. He's just not as much of a minus. Like, it, I mean, it, at one point it was a joke. Like what a formula it was. He was just like, he's going to get his ass kicked on, on the feet for like three rounds and then pull off a submission in, in the, in the yeah. third round. That's Just, changed. I think to a certain <laughs> extent that, well, here's the thing, like, yeah, like beating up the ghost of Shogun who, uh, even in 2020 is nothing to write home about, but against Jamal Hill, everyone remembers like the gruesome arm break and that yeah. terrible ref being so slow to stop it. But, the other half of the story is that he was doing okay on the feet against Jamal Hill, a guy who is in our main event tonight fighting for a title and striking is his strong suit. I mean, yeah, uh, he, he has improved. 
he's still okay. slow. He's still a defensive liability on the feet, but he's become more well-rounded. But at any rate, <laughs> my, my point is, I don't think he's improving. It's like my 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 second grade is handwriting improved from since first grade. Yes, that is exactly what it's like. Uh, and it's not like I'm the first one to come to this conclusion, but I'm done waiting for Johnny Walker to turn a corner. Uh, you know, there's a certain yeah. I, I, there's a certain fallacy to to thinking in and fans of any sport, but especially like an individual sport like combat sports are that if somebody is relatively young and has great gifts in one regard then with the passage of time they're going to get better at the rest of the stuff like you know just yeah, a few more fights and bang ludwig will be okay on the ground he will yeah, never okay right. on the ground yeah, yeah. like yeah. you know eric silva will be a contender one day he just needs to you know just needs a few years to develop he's like 37 <laughs> years old and you know people yeah. somewhere somewhere are still saying that johnny walker to me reminds me a little bit of like a light heavyweight heath herring because Heath Herring, at one point, I was okay. like, this is a guy who he's huge. He's like, you know, a big heavyweight, but he's like very athletic and coordinated for his size. But he just seems like really wild and undertrained and, and unprepared. But as soon as he gets that under control, I mean, he's already proven he can hang with the best in the world. But he just never turned that corner. Like he was he's like he came to the UFC after Pride fell and he was the same kind of wild undertrained fighter. He always was and just in the new era of MMA, it just wasn't enough to hang anymore. And he, he you know, he, he stopped fighting probably for that reason. That's what Walker feels like to me. Like when he got to the UFC and he like just started knocking people out left and right, I was like, okay, he's wild, but with his physical tools, he just needs to settle down and this guy will be a contender. And I, I just don't think he's ever going to settle down. And even if he does, I like being a huge guy who's shockingly fast for your size can only carry you so far. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tiago Santos just completely defused him for five full rounds. Like despite the fact that Santos is older, smaller on bad knees, just like he stymied Walker just by being a better fundamental like kickboxer. Uh, his, I mean, he beat Iwan Kudalaba because Kudalaba is also a wild man with terrible fight IQ. But aside from that, he would have been on a five fight losing streak. If not for that horrible, like finish against Ryan span, just Johnny Walker. He'll stick around for a while because he's such a curiosity as a massive dude with whose fights are usually wild. Who has that like insane bubbly personality that again, if he stardom was there, if he kept winning fights, but it's on him to prove that he's even still UFC level. I'm surprised he's a two to one favorite over Paul Craig here because yeah, he could come out and just nail Craig uh, and knock him out in the first round. But if he doesn't, all the other advantages go to Craig. Like he, Craig is almost as big and physically strong. He has a better gas tank. Uh, he has far better fight IQ. Uh, I'm going with the upset here, and I, I'm I'm not even feeling that shaky about it. Like, give me Paul Craig to, I mean, probably he might lose a, a back and forth first round, but just to start pulling ahead in in the second and going forward, give me uh, give me Paul Craig by decision here, but uh, a late submission wouldn't shock me either. Uh, yeah, Craig wins over an increasingly tired Johnny Walker who has no ideas left in in the third round. Yeah, so. 
for a fight that doesn't really interest me because, I mean, I feel like both guys are what they are at this point. Uh, it also is brilliant matchmaking because it's so wild and crazy. It's such a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, good for the UFC to make this yeah. matchup. Uh, jo- Johnny Walker it looks like a super heavyweight out there. He's the biggest dude in the world. It's insane how he makes the weight. Uh, very athletic, very explosive. You mentioned he can fight like a maniac. Crushing power. It has like spinning shit for days. Flying knees. I am worried about his chin. I mean, Jamal Hill <laughs> knocked him out in, be- in beautiful fashion. Cor- Corey Anderson did the same. Uh, he's a weak offensive wrestler. He's a weak defensive wrestler. Uh, he makes things worse because he tries to stop takedowns by throwing those Travis Brown elbows. I think like Ewan Kutalaba took him down really quick, but he did finish Ryan Spann with, with those. Uh, and obviously because of those size and the power, it can have big effects. Now, uh, if he's on top, he has these long arms where he can land these really hard ground and pound, like even through the guard. So, so that's like probably his best position if it hits the ground. Um, he he did submit Uwan Kutalaba in his last fight. You got to give him that. Uh, but I go back to the fight against Nikita Krylov where he gassed out really bad. Uh Paul Craig, I mean, you were so so. Hold on, yeah, he's he's really big. He, he's not as big as Walker, but he's also one of these really big light heavyweights. Uh, but <laughs> we view his striking much different. Uh, he has no power in his hands at all. It, it, he just arm punches. I mean, his stand up against Vulcan Osimir was embarrassing. He he's basically just this long range kick stri- kicker where he can, uh, but. Even his kicks, I don't like. He doesn't set him up. He's open to be blasted. I think his boxing is pretty much non-existent. He is a uh, to me like seeing his his striking is pretty. Yeah, I'm sure he has, but <laughs> to to me it's like you, you know you're coaching a, a kids basketball team and you know the the you know the big team comes in town central or something and you you play them and it's well the, the score was uh you know, 50 to four. And the next time you play each other is like 48 to seven. You're like, Hey, we're making improvements. You know, uh, that's kind of, kind of feel like, I, I think his boxing is terrible. He's a poor athlete. He's too easy to hit. He can just chin really high in the air and he's taken a lot of damage over the years. Uh, yeah. He's good on the ground, but he's not a strong wrestler. I mean, we've seen that his best bet is, is if, Walker does something stupid like a flying knee and he catches him and takes him down. Or Walker does a spinning thing and knocks himself down. Uh, in and then you know he could work his thing, but he, he shoot and pull guard or Imanari roll. That's another way. Like that's that's things he'll do to get the fight to the ground. I mean, he grabbed Ustaman, pulled him up into the mount position. Uh, but he is a submission threat, and we've said this in the past. He's like a throwback to Hoist Gracie, and and where somehow guard is like the dangerous position with him. Uh, where, you know, you being in a guard is, is is scary, I guess. He can get subs from everywhere, and uh, he can lose every minute of a fight and find a way to get a submission. So I feel this is the most predictable fight on the card because, like, it's it's going to – like, two, one of two things going to happen. It, it's it's – mo- I shouldn't say one of two, but most likely Walker just lands a big haymaker on Craig where Craig is his, you know, chin high in there and just knocks him into next week. Or Craig smiths him pretty quickly. 
and I'm guessing both happens. So I say Walker lands a big shot, goes in for the kill to hurt Craig, and then Craig catches the mission while he's getting blasted with ground and pound, like an arm bar or something. So give me Craig by first round submission. There you go. Uh, while we differ on the particulars, uh, that's two picks for the nearly uh, two to one underdog, uh, Paul Craig, to get it done in the main card opener. Next up, we have a couple of uh, former flyweight title challengers looking to prove they still belong in the title picture. It is Jessica Andrade and Lauren Murphy. Andrade, the 31-year-old Brazilian, is 23-9 and overall. She's 14-7 and in the UFC. Uh, she is one of those women that has wins in three different weight classes. Uh, she's 3-3 three and three at Bantamweight. She is seven and three at strawweight, where she, of course, uh, won a title, and she is three and one uh, at flyweight. She is on a two-fight win streak; those being a first-round knockout of Cynthia Calvillo all the way back in September of 2021, and a first-round submission of Amanda Lemos at UFC Fight Night 205. Uh, in April of 2022, that was a standing arm triangle choke that made a lot of people's submission of the year lists. Uh, she'll look to make it three in a row and uh, perhaps book a return engagement with flyweight queen Valentina Shevchenko against Murphy. Murphy, the 39-year-old Alaskan by way of Houston, is 16-5 and five overall. She's 8-5 and five in the UFC. She is 7-2 and two at flyweight. She had her own uh, shot at Shevchenko's title at UFC 266 back in September of 2021. Uh, she took a one-sided drubbing and ended up being TKO'd in the fourth round. She bounced back from that last July, uh, spoiling Misha Tate's flyweight debut via unanimous decision. That was at UFC on ABC, or Ortega versus Rodriguez. Uh, odds on this one? Tell you what, Keith? Take a guess what the odds are on this fight. Uh, Andrade's going to be a huge favorite. Uh, it's going to be bigger than I think because <laughs> you're asking me that. Um, yeah. Lauren Murphy is historically like not given enough credit for how good she is. Um, like negative, negative 400 for Justin Andrade. I'm going bigger than I, I would have set the line at. The odds, you know, I, again, I'm taking a median of 10 or 12 <laughs> decently respectable sides. Uh, Andrade minus 500, Murphy plus 350. Oh, and I understand. I, I mean, I understand why. And both of these women at this point are very much known quantities. Like, we know what Jessica Andrade is, whether she's fighting at Bantamweight, Strawweight, or Flyweight. I actually think, despite the fact that she won the title at Strawweight, I think Flyweight's probably her best division. Uh it's, it seems to strike the best balance between her feeling comfortable with her gas tank and still being able to leverage just that incredible strength and power and explosion yeah. that, that she has. Where She's also in a really tough situation because she's lost the champion in both weight classes. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, we'll talk about this on the recap, but if she wins, a, a lot of her title chances kind of depend on what happens in the traffic ahead of her in both divisions. The thing, I mean, Lauren Murphy is one of the biggest overachievers in MMA history. Like the heights she has reached from what she had to start with. I mean, this is a woman who kind of started 
training in her 20s because she like was out of shape and overweight and depressed. And for one night, she was arguably the second best fighter in the world in the weight class. You know, like for her to have achieved that and yeah, at least top five. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's not like she's someone who found this great untapped uh, re- reserve of top shelf athleticism once she got into a gym. No, she, oh, yeah. I mean, you once asked, you know, ironically, considering we just talked about him, you once asked, can Paul Craig dunk a basketball? Like I asked, you know, if, <laughs> if Lauren Murphy and Roxanne Modafferi did a decathlon, who would win? Like, like, <laughs> uh, you know, she, all she has going from her. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Murphy because like Roxanne Modafferi like stopped and like, pick some daisies on the way <laughs> you know they, they like got to do the swim the, the Kaplan does a swim right is that like iron man kind of style no i know it's all right. track and field stuff oh yeah, if it was like, like an iron man she like stopped to feed the ducks and shit. Yeah. <laughs> but i uh, one thing murphy has going from her going for her from uh like a standpoint of just pure physical tools is she's big and strong for 125 like she became a different fighter once the ufc introduced one 25 and she could drop from bantamweight because i mean murphy's eight and five in the ufc she was that's one and three at bantamweight and just like seemed like a woman probably on her way out and then everything just flipped as soon as she was able to cut to 125 and at 125 unless she's taking on a you know valentina shevchenko type she's tended to be like more like physically stronger than than her opponents uh That's, but beyond that, I mean, she's kind of slow. I mean, she makes up for it with uh, like pretty good striking fundamentals, but like slow on her feet, slow hands. And she's going against someone in Andrade that Andrade has all the physical gifts and leverages them with a just really kind of rudimentary, like meat and potatoes game plan that just uses them to their best advantage. And whenever those physical gifts abandon her, she's going to go over a cliff real quick. I mean, despite being shorter than basically all of her opponents, she's fast enough that she's able to bounce into range and hit and hit him with punches. Uh, I mean, the number of taller women that she's cleanly plunked in the head is huge. When she decides to go to the body like she did against Caitlin Jukagian, it is absolutely brutal. And then she uses that physical strength to be a pretty effective offensive wrestler or doesn't even need to take it to the ground. I mean, she just squoes the shit out of Amanda Lamos on the feet and, you know, got... Uh, submission of the year candidate with what on paper is about the simplest technique you'll ever see like like win something like that this is a bad matchup for murphy and only more so considering that murphy's now pushing 40 like whatever physical gifts she she's had are slipping uh i mean murphy beat tate but that was a very suspect tate at 125 and it was more competitive than it should have been uh this to me has Andrade by something spectacular and fairly early written all over it. Uh, I'm going to say KO. I'm going to say Murphy just can't deal with the speed of Andrade, can't deal with the power. Uh, Andrade just blisters her with a couple of hooks. Uh, Murphy goes down and Andrade finishes with uh, ground and pound. Give me first round TKO for Jessica Andrade. Yeah, um, we view these fighters very similar with what we see the skills. Um, Jessica Andrade is a very aggressive striker gets fights and blitzes kind of swarms in throws big shots always i said before this it almost seems like she runs at her opponent uh she has struggled at times to cut off 
the cage against ones who move really well. So someone like Rose Namunis, Yohan Young Jacek when she fought her. Uh, her reckless unbanded style got a blasted against Wei Li Zhang, but these are the exceptions. Most people can't handle this blitzing style of her. Uh, when she finds her range, you betcha she's scary, especially those, you know, body shots. As she is possible, as powerful as anybody in the women's MMA, uh, power for pound, yeah, tons of power. She gets in the pocket, landed huge hooks, huge uppercuts. Uh, you mentioned she has even more power at one twenty-five. Uh, if it wasn't such a so we might disagree on where she should fight because of the more I think the more dominant champion at 125. I think it's actually a worse stylistic matchup. Even though no, I think she is uh, her best at 125. I don't know if that's necessarily oh, the best okay. division yeah, yeah. for her. No, yeah. no, yeah, that I actually agree. I, I she yeah. just I think she's good anywhere, but yeah, I I think well the extra ten pounds uh, helped the cardio a little bit. But uh, if she wants to be a champion again, Weili Zhang, who <laughs> actually starts her in the first round. So that's kind of weird to say that's a better stylistic matchup. Just, um, you want to just, she's so good. Yeah. Uh, but she's got some, so back to Andrade's skills, thudding leg kicks. She is open to leg kicks and that's because she's lead, you know, she's on that lead, uh, foot. You mentioned her wrestling. I think her wrestling, uh, I think you're on this. I think she's a very good wrestler. Uh, she just, it's it's different. It's an I want to say it's unorthodox, but it's more like a power based wrestling where she just grab a leg and 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 she launches you. Uh, I mean, everyone always remembers that big slam she did to Rose Namajunas, but they forget that that was like the third time she slammed her. Mm-hmm. So it, it 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 wasn't an anomaly. Like it was, it's no. part of her game. And no, and part of the problem was that Namajunas defended with that same like figure yeah. four like Kimura lock each time, and finally Andrade was like, okay. This time it's going to put you on your head. Yeah, she just yeah. made an adjustment. Yeah, uh, so she has some of the meanest ground and pound you'll ever see too. Uh, Lauren Murphy, I think you you described it perfectly. Like not a great athlete, but she's a brute. That's kind of her thing. She's very strong. She's very tough. She fights at a high pace throughout the fight. She's one of these ones. She's willing to eat a shot to land like three of her own. We saw that in the Misha Tate fight. She isn't fast. She's she is technical though, so she's got a good jab. She does well to follow it up with good power shots inside. I'd say she's got plus punch power. Um, and that's because she has a really good base. Uh, she sits on her punches really good. Uh, she's she's good at moving and pulling her op- opponents into her punches. Uh, that's another thing she has going for her because of her boxing style. She doesn't check a lot of leg kicks though, so she's open there. But she's phys- physically strong in the clinch. She can grind at someone. She isn't technical wrestler, but she will like occasionally get the fight to the ground. Uh, a top side grappler, and she showed improved takedown defense against Misha Tate, where Misha Tate couldn't get her down at all. Murphy beats people by being busier than them and stronger than than her opponents. But nobody is stronger than Jessica Andrade. And nobody can, like, yeah, you can fight hard. You can match Jessica Andrade's output. But you're not going to slow her down. She can, it's a pretty amazing how she can throw these power shots for 15 minutes straight and it never really seems tired. Uh, I think this is a really bad stylistic matchup for Murphy, who I'm actually higher on Murphy than I, than I think the majority of people are. Just this is not the person. I think Jessica Andrade gets right in her face. I think she pressures her. I think she lands power shot. I think she swarms her early. I think Jessica Ryan gets a first round knockout. Third from the top on the UFC 283 main card is a welterweight matchup between Gilbert Burns and Neil Magny. 
Burns, the 36-year-old Brazilian, is 20 and 5 overall. He is 13 and 5 in the UFC. He is 6 and 2 since moving up to welterweight. Uh, fought his way all the way to a shot at the title held by Kamaru Usman, where he came up short by third round TKO. That was back almost two years ago at UFC 258. Uh, came back from that with a win over Stephen Thompson. Then uh, most recently appeared at UFC 273 this past April, where he dropped a unanimous decision to Hamzat Shemaev. So he'll be looking uh, to bounce back from that loss, remain in the welterweight title picture. Standing in his way will be uh, Magny, who continues his assault on the UFC record books uh, as one of the uh, more quietly accomplished uh, fighters of his era. The 35-year-old Haitian-American by way of New York, by way of Chicago, by way of Colorado, is 27-9 and overall. He's 20-8 and since joining the UFC out of the 16th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, He won his last time out. It was a third-round submission of Daniel Rodriguez last November at UFC Fight Night, uh, Rodriguez versus Lemos. That allowed him to bounce back from his second-round submission loss to Shavkat Rachmanov last June. Uh, odds on this one? Well, Keith, guess what the odds are on this one? Um, God, it's got to be much higher than uh, I, I'm I not, I'm, this one. It's not necessarily off the charts. I'm just okay to know what, what you think it is. Uh, and Burns is gonna be the favorite. See, yeah, and Magni's another guy where I'm higher on Magni than most people are. Um, God, Burns is really good though. Uh, Burns negative 230. Burns is minus 450. Oh, Jesus Magny Christ. Against Neil Magny? Yep. Oh, my gosh. With the disrespect of Neil Magny. I mean, Magny was that big uh, underdog to Shavkat Rachmanov, but aside from that, yeah. that's the, the widest yeah. line of, of, of his career. Uh, I mean, these are two guys that, I mean, Burns is 36, Magny's 35. Despite that, they both seem to be in their prime to me. Uh, neither of them seems to have had like any appreciable drop-off. Uh, Burns, I mean, he's he's come up short against Kamar Usman. And, I mean, he had he had his moments against Usman. Then came up short against Shemaev in a fight that was pretty damn competitive. Uh, you know, more competitive than, than the lines would have indicated as Shemaev was a ridiculous favorite in, in that fight. I just, I feel as though Gilbert Burns is a top five fighter, still like trying to prove that he still belongs. Whereas Magny's more like a top twelve fighter, trying to prove he he still belongs. And I think a lot of the things that Burns does well, like translate well to, uh, to beating Magny. Like I'm not saying I agree with that huge line, but when you look at the people that have like really run through Magni. It's either people with a substantial advantage in like hand speed and power. You know, you're uh, uh, Santiago Ponzinibbio, Lorenz Larkin types, uh, or like really, really superior grapplers like Damian Maya, uh, RDA, RDA. Uh, and I mean, Burns, 
is a three-time Mundials champ, yeah. Abu Dhabi bronze medalist, who's yeah. grappling. It has translated to, to MMA. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. he's, just, he's a stud. And he's one of those guys that he has explosive athleticism on top of it. We, like, we've talked about a couple guys on this card, like, you know, uh, uh, Gregory Rodriguez, Jailton uh, Almeida, where, yeah, they come from a jiu-jitsu background, but they've been able to pick up offensive wrestling well just because they have like physical gifts that that make shot entries like more feasible like you know like no matter when he started wrestling Damian Maya was never going to have like an incredible blast double that's just not how his body no, no. works <laughs> uh Gilbert Burns does have a good double you know uh yeah ask Steven Thompson yeah Man, remember when we thought Stephen Thompson was untakedownable, and then all of a sudden, like he just turned thirty six, and all of a sudden, like, it's yeah. like no, 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 he fought Tyron Woodley. Yeah, That's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Magny does so many things well, and we, we've talked about it a ton. I'll, I'll turn the granular stuff over to you, but just you know, for a tall, skinny guy, surprisingly good uh, wrestler, uh, really good in the clinch, has become a, like a very solid boxer, but. This fight just seems for me like as good as I think Magni is. I think Burns is going to like end up winning in some sort of shocking and spectacular fashion. That's going to make it look like the gap between them is, is greater than it is. But uh, yeah, give me Burns to like maybe hurt Magni on the feet, take him down and then like really roll over him on the ground. Uh, give me Burns by like second round submission uh, wow. after what was a competitive fight up to that point. Yeah, I, this is a really good fight. Um, it, it's funny because I, I remember when it was announced, a lot of people were, were not happy about it, kind of seeing like, oh, Burns deserves something better than that. I have to take it on Shemayoff. And it's like, yeah, but doesn't Magni deserve something better too? So it kind of goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the ultimate company man in, in Neil Magni. Uh, in a sense, nothing against Gilbert. In a sense, I almost want to see Neil Magny win because then he's he's never as good as he's been in this long run. He's never been a true title contender where he's like, yeah, I mean, one or two f- people can't take a fight. They call him Neil Magny, you know. Yeah. Um, Gilbert Burns, obviously, he's been right there. Uh, you, you mentioned he's a great athlete. He's got quick hands. He's got really tight inside boxing. Throws really hard combos. Good punching power, which is really translated as he's moved up in weight gets in the pocket he lands bombs i mean you, you saw him starch damon meyer he hurt usman in the fight almost won the title because of his power hurt shamayev like you know in a really fun war but he had shamayev stung a bunch of times but he he wants to be the bull in the we've seen it like shamayev put some pressure on him a little bit uh, also, Alexei Konchenko, going back to that fight, was he had some success by pushing Burns back. Um, he also got backed up by uh, David Maya, which which I don't <laughs> like. He struggles with the uh, defensive a little bit. He, you know, um, Usman jabbed him up a little bit, so did Shemaev. Uh, and he's taken a lot of damage because Gil Burns is willing to fight guys like Kamar Usman and, and Shemaev and, and, and killers. He's taken a, a lot of damage in that sense. I, I like his dirty boxing. He's one of these guys who uses that like stout sh- base, and it really works good for him when he gets inside and grinds. You mentioned it on the ground. I mean, he's an elite of the elite grapplers. You mentioned three-time world champion. Good takedowns. He turned Stephen Thompson into a takedown dummy. He, he quickly uh, changes levels 
really flat fast. I go back to when he like slammed Tyron Woodley. Say what you want about Tyron Woodley, and he was obviously a faded fighter, but he was still a Division One wrestler. And he just picked up, slammed him. Uh, he's got some body lock takedowns, good hip control. I remember when he threw uh, judo through Gunnar Nelson, which says a lot, and on on the ground, smothering top control, brutal ground and pound. Nail Magny is your classic builder. He beats guys with volumes. He's a fighter whose cardio is a tool, and it's his best weapon. He'll start off at a normal pace, but by round three, he's in full sprint. And he's one of these guys, he needs volume. And a lot of that has to do because he is losing speed. So you ask, is he is he at his prime despite being his age? He's not at his prime in his physical choice, but his mentality and his um, – he, he's polished areas – that this is his prime because of that where um like he's fighting the best he ever has even if his tools have regressed a little bit exactly which is which is really surprising but it's the mentality of this guy he i mean you see him lose speed you know in, in fights against like uh max griffin was faster obviously rachmanov was faster daniel rodriguez was faster uh but he still finds a way to win because he's his his like will to win is stronger than ever when it gets hard, Neil Magny's not backing down. And his mentality broke a guy like Danny Rodriguez. Like, that was a difference in the fight. Uh, he has a long long length and stuff, so he can do all that stuff on the outside, being all the way out, stiff jab. Doesn't really load up, just kind of touches. He he did some negative things in the, in the Danny Rodriguez fight that we don't really see him do. Like, he was backing straight up. He was pulling his head back. Uh, which which is surprising. He was hurt, but Dan Rodriguez also is like a, like a shot boxer that that stings people, and uh, that might have had. And no matter, he took that fight in really short notice. Um, right? Was it or was it the other way around? No, it was Magny. Magny took the fight in short notice. Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, he he does well with his like teep kicks up the middle, busy calf kicks. I go back to like the Anthony Rocco Martin fight where he hits. Such success with the calf kicks, destroyed with calf kicks. But what I love about Neil Magny is he really understands range. When his opponent gets into that boxing range where Magny no longer has this huge advantage, that's when Magny starts initiating the clinch. Then he starts using his side on the inside. So he like almost forces a guy who doesn't want to fight on the inside of them to have to stay on the outside in his kicking range where Magny has success there too. Because uh, when you get inside, he, he just grabs you, wear on you. I love his step in knees. I like uh, that he kind of turns everything inside in that range. Uh, slicing elbows, he'll throw elbows in there. And then when he gets in the cl- like clinch position, elbows, knees, shoulder strikes, always constantly making you work. Uh, he also was hitting these like, like slick slide buys against Danny Rodriguez. He hit a two or three of them on him to you know to get some grappling. He's a good offensive wrestler. We saw in his last fight, he took a guy like Danny Rodriguez, who's kind of had a pretty stellar takedown defense. He took Danny Rodriguez down five times and was relentless on the match. Don't know how many times Danny Rodriguez got back up. Magny found a way to return him and kind of break him that way. Uh, his defensive wrestling we ha- has been an issue in the past, but it's been a long time now, so it, it, I think it would be tested against a guy like Gilbert Burns, but like Michael Chiesa, Rafael Dos Andres had, had success taking him down, holding him down. Again, it's been a long time Oh, and and Rachmanov, but that guy is such an exception to the yeah. to the rule. Uh, and then Magny, he has because he has those long arms. If you make a mistake, you shoot on or something. He can lock in a Darce choke or a guillotine or something like that. So, as far as prediction goes, I love this fight. I'm such a fan of Neil Magny, 
but I'm also a huge fan of, of Gilbert Burns. I am going with Burns in this one. Size has never been an issue for Burns, despite Magny being the biggest fighter that he's ever going to face. Uh, he, he just stays in people's faces, and more importantly, he's really smart. Uh, he showed despite having power in his hands and, and hurting a guy like Kamaru Usman, he remembers his bread and butter as his ground game. When he went against Stephen Thompson, he went to his his ground. I haven't seen Magni be able to stop takedowns or something like that. So I say Burns lands some good shots in the feet. When, when Magni's looking to clinch, Burns is getting takedowns, does it for 15 minutes. I say Burns wins the decision. All right. The co-main event of UFC 283 is a flyweight title fight and unprecedented in UFC history, fourth meeting between uh, Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. The champ, Figueredo, 35-year-old Brazilian, is 21-2-1 overall. He's 10-2-1 in the UFC. He is 1-1-1 in his last three fights, all three of which have been against Moreno. Their first meeting at UFC 256 in December of 2020 uh, was a majority draw. They met again in June of 2021, where uh, Moreno finished him by third round submission. And they met for the third time uh, at UFC 270 a year ago, where uh, he defeated Moreno by unanimous decision. The challenger, Moreno, 29-year-old Mexican, is 26 and 2 overall. He is 8-3 and 2 in the UFC. He, of course, has that trio of fights with Figueredo, but unlike Figueredo, he has fought again in the interim. Uh, he fought Kai Cara France at UFC 277 last July, uh, finishing him by third round TKO. Uh, the historic fourth meeting between these two, uh, finally clearing the logjam in the men's flyweight title picture, hopefully, presumably, barring something weird. Odds are close, but Moreno just the slightest of favorites. Uh, most, like, there, I don't see any reputable outlet where you can get either of them at plus money. Uh, most of them, it's Moreno around minus 115, Figueredo amount, around minus 105. So about as close to even money as you can get. That may fluctuate throughout the week. Uh, Keith, we have uh, like 11 rounds, like 10 and a half, 11 rounds worth of action of these two against one another. They've made adjustments between fights. I mean, there, there's a reason their three fights have had three different results, but all of them have been competitive. They've all been great fights, which is why while I think everybody wants things to kind of move along. Nobody's complaining too hard because it's not like they've had three terrible fights. Uh, you know, they've had three great fights. But for me, I just, I, I feel as though something's got to give, something's going to snap sooner or later. I mean, at least by the eyeball test, Figueredo has one of the most brutal weight cuts in, in all of high-level MMA. I mean, the only thing this guy can't win at 125 pounds is the Davison Figueroa lookalike contest because he looks like fucking Skeletor uh, on that scale. And I mean, he's a guy that's you know he's had weight issues in the past. He just turned 35 in a division that 35 is usually past the freshness date for most fighters. 
And he's facing a guy in Moreno that at 29 should just be coming into his prime. And I don't know. Like I'm gonna, I'm I'm definitely gonna flip it to you for the X's and O's here. But if I mean, I expect nothing other than another just nip and tuck, super close, very entertaining fight. But just based on age and physicality, these guys should be on two slightly different trajectories. I expect Moreno to be to be a little better than he was. Well six months ago when he fought Kai Car France and blasted him, like let alone a year ago when he last fought Figueredo and lost a very close decision. Whereas I expect Figueredo to have slipped at least just a tiny bit for that reason. I'm going with Moreno in this one. Uh, give me Moreno by decision in probably another classic. Yeah. I mean, these guys are incredible. The, the, you know, I keep thinking about like I, I always wanted the division to move on because there's so many other great flyweights. A lot of guys who deserve it, but I think we're gonna think back like ten years from now, fifteen years from now, when these guys are retired, huh? and we're gonna be like, we're gonna miss these guys fighting each other yes. because of you know we're gonna be like, damn, why, why didn't we appreciate that more? This is you know, skill-wise, two of the most skilled fighters in the history of the UFC. I mean, this, this could be like, if you're a boxing fan, this is, you know, Sugar Ray Lennon versus Marvin Hagler or Roberto De Moran mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, we should really appreciate that because there'll be a time. There's going to be, I think there's going to be people 20, 25 years from now who, who are envious that we got to watch these guys in the prime, not knowing who wins. Like, yeah. We know who won between Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and their matches and, and this and that, like because to me they're both legends and, in the sport. Okay, oh, I shouldn't well, say legends, but like well, just, just uh, I mean they're awesome. they're they're legends in this division. They're gonna, I mean, yeah, and like it has all like other elements, ingredients of a great rivalry as well. Because like you said, they're two of the most skilled uh, fighters in the sport at any weight any gender, any division, any promotion. Yeah. They're both very physically gifted fighters, but yeah. stylistically they're different and their contrast is made for some great fights. And then they have such different personalities. Like Figueredo is just like the, the intense. Yeah. Like, yeah. He tries like to be guy with the chip on his shoulder. Moreno is like the lovable guy where, I That's mean, right. you know, there's videos out there on YouTube of like other fighters, moms saying that like Brandon Moreno is like their favorite fighter. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's playing with, he's playing with uh, Legos and he's being like he's 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 a super nerd. Um, I almost feel like this should be a main event. Like the last time, last hurrah, fly, flyweights never. I mean, what was the last time a flyweight got a main event? Well, a I mean, well, there's multiple uh title fights on a UFC card, they the, the, it's the biggest fighters, the smallest fighters, the women. Like it's just yeah. Unless the woman's Ronda Rousey, like that's yeah, it. or Conor McGregor or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's rare for the smaller guy to get the yeah. the bump. I just feel like what they've been able to put on f- for us should be, and you know, it's one, one, and one. I mean, I, for them to fight a fourth time and basically be a pick and fight, should tell you everything you need to know. Yes, of how spectacular. You know, uh, you know, Figueredo Mariano had this wonderful showing in the second fight. And Figueredo, who a lot of people were upset that Figueredo was getting the the rematch for the trilogy, and then he makes adjustment, he wins. 
you know, and see if Moreno can make adjustments now. Uh, yeah, it's just really, it's just fantastic. I, I the thing about the champion Figueredo, I actually had to think about it for a second who's the champion <laughs> because yeah. that's like, you know, how it keeps going back and forth and everything. Uh, Figueredo, he, he's an elite athlete. He's he's this guy that can fight out of both stances. He's a counter striker with a slip and rip style. Very patient, doesn't rush his shots, does well to draw out attacks with his feints, and he has this rare ability where he can either he can strike with power on his back foot or while backing up. It's so rare. I've said this before, but he reminds me of a Vandalay Silva where he just kind of holds his ground and throws wildly with hard shots. But because of his looping style and because they're so fast for his looping style, he lands at weird angles and. Some of his best punches, and I've said this before, is not these ones that hit like so clean. They're just grazing shots, and he can hurt you. It's kind of very similar to what we've talked about Francis Ngannou in the past. He's the biggest hitter in the history of the flyweight division. I mean, he you added Bantamweight. He might be the hit, biggest hitter in flyweight and, and Bantamweight. And you know what? Win or, like, win or lose, we might see that sooner than later. Yeah, and he's a guy that I don't think that affects him. You know, it, it might be positive for him because of, you know, the longer this rivalry goes on at flyweight, it hurts Figueredo more than it hurts Moreno. Mm. Uh, he's, you know, his his tools, his straight right is a legendary punch. I, I like that he's been throwing elbows in the close range, which is so impressive for him to be able to land those. Uh, he does keep his hands a little low and his chin high so he can be hit. And, and, We've talked about this on the recap. Despite knocking down Moreno three times in the fight, he was buckled a couple times himself. He just didn't go down. Uh, it, I think if he wants to win, and, and it, it is 50-50 really in every position on the feet, in the clinch on the ground, uh, but I think he should go back to the first fight where he was clinching a lot. He was the physically imposing guy. I think he should think about wrestling a lot. He's got great pen- penetration step. He does really well to lower his level on, like on a dime. He 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 needs to improve his takedown defense. I mean, Moreno took him down four times in the first fight, two times in the rematch, and then uh, once in the third fight. But he did show improvement, like the, of getting up. Like you cannot hold Figueroa down. Uh, well, he oh, I shouldn't say that he was held down in the second fight. But the second fight was he was so flat. He looked like, he, you know, you look at the three fights. That's the one that stands out. It just looks like of the three fights, that was the one where it looked like one guy was off. Or it was just Moreno just was spectacular. That could be the case, too. Uh, he has a submission threat. I mean, he hit that beautiful guillotine to Meliot. He did the same on Alex Perez in their fight. And he's shown that he, he can go hard all five rounds. And even when he, he has bad body language time, it looks like he looks like he's slowing down, but he's not. Like, he... Just when he gets kind of has bad body language, you're expecting like, okay, oh, he's he's getting tired. And he's like, oh no, he just landed a three punch combination of just power hooks. Uh, Moreno, on the recap yesterday, we talked about uh, Basharat on the, on the recap and just being like this complete martial artist. Moreno is very similar. Like, he, he doesn't have a really glaring hole anywhere. He's just just a perfect blend of everything. Marino is this solid boxer with quick hands, one of the best jabs in the game, generates good power because he sits on his punches. He also is really good at lining up his shots with his footwork, always kind of winning the, the foot battle. Um, got some good defense, good, good head movement, a very like, bob and weave style, 
uh, very Bernard Hopkins shoulder rolls in there too. So he's like he definitely a boxing style to his, his striking. Uh, but his, well, well, I shouldn't say it, it was always the case. Now he's really added these kicking game, which has been spectacular lately. Great, uh, great high kick kicks to the calves. Uh, I love that he like slips the left hand and throws that high kick over the top, similar to what Robert, uh, Robert Whitaker always does. Uh, he crushed Kai Kara France with a body kick in his last fight. He, he does need to check leg kicks. Figueroa's had success with some leg kicks in the past. Um, and he didn't eat punches. From, I mean, he, he got land, I mean, Figueroa landed some, a lot of shots on him. But that third round, he fell down. He got dropped three times. Or, or I shouldn't say, I think it was two times. I mean, he, multiple times he was dropped in, in the trilogy fight. It was probably the difference in the fight. Uh, so um, I'm worried like about his durability a little bit because of we've seen him fall. Uh, he's a very underrated wrestler. I mean, he took Figgy down in all three of their fights. Uh, he's good at winning scrambles. He's he's good at finding ways back to his feet if he's taken down. He loves like Gramby rolling and stuff. He's got some good back takes. He's a submission threat. He submitted Figueroa in the second fight. And he's shown he's hard to submit. So, I've been talking a really long time about this fight cause just because it's it it's it, this is probably the last time we get to break this down. So, um, this is an amazing fight. I think it's an amazing rivalry. If they if it, if they weren't flyweights and they had bigger, um, I, I shouldn't say that because they do have big personalities. But I think if if the UFC marketed right there, I think this could be one of the greatest rivalries in, in UFC. I think it already is one of the greatest rivalries in UFC. But I think it would get even more buzz. I mean, it's a way better rivalry than like Chuck Liddell versus Tito Ortiz. Yeah, like way better. Yeah, like it's it's the most closely matched rivalry yeah, at this okay, level in MMA example. history. It, yeah, and like yeah, they don't hate each other like Jones and Cormier, you know, or like you know Chuck and Tito, uh, but they're the chemistry they do have. It would sell yeah. if if they were bigger. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and these guys would be looking for each other forever. Um, when I. When we recapped the third fight, I said something. I don't know if you remember on the recap. I said immediately after I said, in the fourth round, I'm picking Moreno. And I said, Figgy knocked down Moreno. I think it was two, maybe three times in that last fight. And besides getting those knockdowns, it was still such a close fight. Mm-hmm. Plus, Moreno's younger. Plus, he's taken less damage over the years. And I went back to, yeah, Figaro dropped Moreno. But he never looked like Moreno. Moreno never seemed like he was hurt. Like no. he just Figueroa cracked so hard, and then Moreno recovered well. But Moreno landed shots against Figgy, where he would buckle at times, but didn't go down. I think Moreno hurts uh, Figueroa this time. I think he hurts him a bunch of times. I think those times that went where Figueroa was buckled, I think he, I think he goes down. I think we might even get a late finish. I'm going to say Moreno's the new champion. He says he gets a fourth round TKO. I mean, obviously, uh, against Moreno was the last time we saw Figueredo. Moreno has that extra fight in between. Did you see anything in the Kai Car France fight that made you think differently? Because I remember, yeah, you said, yeah, the kicks. The, the kicks and I'm, the body kicks. Yeah, the, the body kicks, like that's a new wrinkle. Like the concerning thing is that Moreno, it was a really flat, kind of deliberate first round for him. Like a few people he was. Yeah. Car France, like coming out a slow starter against Figueredo is a recipe for danger. But I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. I'm more, I'm more like interested and in, uh, to see to see if he brings out those kicks than I am concerned about the kind of like slow start. 
Yeah, I'm not concerned about it at all. I mean, he's a slow side. He still got. I think it was a second round finish. It. Was, I mean, it was it was third, but yeah, yeah like third round, But he, so. he he turned on the Jets by the second. Yeah. Well, then no, we. I'm not, I'm, if he loses, it's not because of that. Yeah. If he loses, simply because Figueroa is just better tonight. I don't think it's. I don't think he got worse. I think he's a better fighter now than he was then. That brings us to the main event of UFC 283, the headliner of the first pay-per-view of the new year, a light heavyweight title matchup between Glover Teixeira and Jamal Hill. Teixeira, the 43-year-old Brazilian by way of Connecticut, is 33-8 and overall. He is 16-6 and in the UFC. He lost his last time out, of course. That was him dropping his light heavyweight title to Yuri Prohaska by fifth round submission in the headliner of UFC 275 last June in a front runner for fight of the year. You know, absolute classic. I think I think it's the greatest light heavyweight title fight in history, and that's saying a lot. Um, prior to that, no, it, is. it is absolutely. Yeah. Prior to that, he had won six straight on his way to, to winning the title from Jan Blachowicz back in October of 2021. Prohaska, of course, had a catastrophic shoulder injury late last year, was going to be unable to defend the title, and being Yuri Prohaska and just one of the most awesome dudes in the sport uh, would not hear of an interim title or anything and chose to vacate instead. So this fight is for the actual lineal yeah. undisputed title because, once again, Yuri Prohaska is awesome. Yeah, like what a dude. Seriously, what a dude. And the thing he said was just the most martial arts thing ever. He's like, the belt is meaningless if I can't defend it against other men. Yeah, they need to learn how to market him better. Because he, yeah. I, I've always, we've talked about marketing many times, and I've always thought like it's about characters. It's it's the 1980s WWF mm -hmm. brand where everyone had a little different marketing yeah, you, know, you had the guy who brought the two by four. You had the guy yeah. who acted like he was perfect and he could throw a basketball over his head and land in the hoop. And, and you're telling me that in that era, a guy that like kneels off in the forest with a samurai sword in his lap and says yeah. little blood and martial arts shit wouldn't have been sellable? Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that's what they need to get into the true martial artist. So, yeah. I mean, we could say MMA's martial It's not. It's, it's more prize fighting than it is martial arts. Yeah. But there is that. Him, Alex Caceres, there's like a handful of guys who, who, and then you have the street fighter part. You have the prize yeah. fighter, you have the street, you know, you have the Diaz brothers and the, you know, the gangster Mike Perry's and all that stuff. Yeah. Like, he's your, you want the martial art, you want the respect, you want that. Like, one championship would do better marketing than, than the UFC would. Yes, absolutely. But, anyways. Anyway. Yeah, we're not anyway, thanks to uh, Prohaska's noble and and gracious move to vacate the title uh this one is for the real live undisputed lineal belt the other man in the cage uh though he would certainly not describe himself that way is hill the 31 year old michigan native is 11 and 1 with one no contest overall he is 5 and 1 with one no contest since joining the ufc out of the third season of dana white's contender series he is on a three-fight win streak since that loss to Paul Craig, the kind of weird first-round armbar injury thing that happened back in June of 2021. He has bounced back from that with TKO wins over Jim Crute, Johnny Walker, and Tiago Santos. 
the most recent of those. The Santos fight was last August in the headliner of UFC on ESPN 40. That brings Hill to uh, the biggest fight of his career and one of the quickest tracks to a title shot in UFC history outside of like weird divisions like heavyweights and women's featherweight. I mean, this is just his sixth or seventh seventh fight in the UFC, something like that. Uh, but here he is, and he is a slight favorite. Hill, minus 125 to share a plus 105. Keith, it's in Brazil. It is Glover Teixeira, who, I mean, you claim him for Connecticut. Yeah, and- it's really weird. Weird to have a New Englander. And uh, I'm sorry, where's Jamal Hill from again? He's from uh, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, Michigan guy and a New Englander. Yeah, yeah headlining a car in Brazil. Brazil. That's really weird. I mean, and <laughs> and for those who don't Brazil, know. you have enough people. Like, you have yeah. enough people. Can we get, can we get Glover? Like, come and on. For, for those listening who don't know, <laughs> it's not we'll like to share a – yeah, we'll trade you a New Englander. Like yeah. we'll give you, we'll give you like we'll give you Rob Font or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll give you, we'll give you Chris Martino. There you go. Uh, you know, green hair, Chris, like the, like the most evolved version, like the yeah, the final green version hair from Brazil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, for those who might not know, it's not like Teixeira moved there five years ago and opened up a gym. He has literally lived in Connecticut for half of his life. He's lived in Connecticut for over 20 years to the point where he had visa issues and had to like leave his gym in Connecticut, go back to Brazil for six months and then go back to Connecticut. Like the dude is a new England guy who happens to have, I can't wait to do an interview and he's saying like, Alex Perez is wicked. Awesome. (laughs) You know? (laughs) And honestly with like the Portuguese last name, you'd be like, are you sure you're not from Rhode Island? Like, are are your people not? (laughs) Yeah. East Providence. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, I mean, it's it's Teixeira that Brazil is absolutely going to claim for its own. One of the more universally liked fighters in the sport. I mean, it's not on the same, like, superstar level as, like, Shogun Hua or, like, Kazushi Sakuraba. But in all my time in, in this space, I've yet to find a fighter, trainer, or longtime fan with a single bad thing to say about Glover Teixeira. Like... He is just a genuinely good dude. And he went, I mean, he could be a fighter of the year and coach of the year in the same year. Like if Alex Pereira like defends his title a couple times, he could be 2023's like fighter and coach of the year. And (laughs) it's funny. I was thinking about you, you said like, if we had, you know, we talk about the club, like who gets in the club of, of just respected guys by people. In, in in the world of MMA, it'd be like Frank Yeager, Glover Teixeira, uh, Big Nog would be a guy. Yeah, just I mean, Glover Teixeira is the man. He, he really is. And at 43, he's on the downslope of his career. He knows he's on the downslope of his career. You, you're yeah. not you're not a coach for for as long as you are without as he is without having a realistic look at your own strengths and, and limitations. Yeah. He knows that this is his last shot to, to walk out on top. I think Jamal Hill is a wonderful fighter and he's, I think he will probably stick around the the title picture at least for a, a while yet, but this is about as winnable a title fight as to is going to find like yeah. in, in that range right now. And he's still well, also being extremely dangerous. While still being extremely dangerous, yeah. Uh, but I mean, 
the rest of them, like you don't want to see Glover Teixeira versus Magomed and Kalaev on on Saturday. No. Not if that's as possibly his farewell fight. Hell no. Like this is this is it. Yeah. And he's still a slight underdog. So okay. Keith, totally flipping this one to you. Okay. Is is there joy or are there tears in the uh, you know in the arena in in Rio on Saturday night? Let me ask you this. Regardless, win or lose. If if Glover Teixeira loses, I think this is the last fight. I mean, he's not going to build back up. He, he's done enough in his life, and he's got enough going on. Does he really need to take, you know, top five fights and try to build yourself back up at, at this age? But what if he wins? If he wins, he sticks around for a Prohaska rematch. He wants that back so? real bad. I Why, dude, though? That, yeah, I, think I, mean, that's I, guess, the only, I think that's the only reason he, he was coming back for this card in the first place is he wanted it again with Prohaska. He's taking this fight because – it basically forces a rematch with Prohaska if he wins. Yeah, I get it. If you're like, you know, you're at the Super Bowl and you just get tackled on the one yard line kind of thing, you're winning or something, you fumble or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, the fight that he was, what, what was it, 45 seconds, something like that, away from winning the title. Uh, sorry, keeping the title. Yeah. Um, are you surprised they picked Hill of the, you know, when they were going, is it just because he's fresh face, he's got some, a lot of knockouts or – Fresh face, a lot of knockouts. And honestly, again, nobody in the top five is a softball. No. But it's it's winnable for uh, Teixeira in a way that some of those other matchups aren't. Like, I like his chances against uh, Hill better than I do, like, a Blahovich rematch. Like, I already said, yeah. I, can live, I can live hell no. Yeah, and I think they were upset with Ankalaev and, and Blahovich, so they moved on. And and the other yeah. options are really was Jamal Hill and Anthony Smith, and and we've seen Glover share versus Anthony Smith recently. Yeah. So um, that said, I mean he's the favorite to win the title, and uh, one thing to mention, he'll be if he wins the title, he'll be the first contender series alumni to win a UFC title, which is kind of cool, cool thing happening if he does. Because he's he's nobody's first pick, I don't think, for first like n- not the one I would have picked like coming out of season one or season two. You know oh, yeah, what did he come Sean O'Malley or something like that? Yeah, yeah, Sean O'Malley. I or you know, I maybe you're one of the people who thought like Jeff Neal would have done more by oh, now. Jeff, yeah, or, yeah. But, yeah, Jeff, yeah, but yeah, like the like, hill would hill would be it. Yeah, he's been the most successful so far, and he's fine. I mean, I know Alex Perez fought for a title, but. Um, yeah, this is a fun matchup. It really is. It, it's it's why I'd probably give the entire card like a like a B minus. Like I think it's a good pay per view card. Uh, Glover Teixeira on the feet. He's your classic bob and weave boxer. He, he's he does a lot of what Brandon Marino does, just like way slower. <laughs> you know, like, like you know, like he 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 wants to move like Brandon Marino just. Like like he can't anymore. It's, it's, if Brandon Moreno gained a hundred pounds, and uh, you know twenty years or whatever it yeah. is, uh, he he keeps everything tight, everything short, the tight hooks, uh, high guard defense. He's effective with his striking, despite his hand speed declining. A lot of that does has to do with the threat of the takedowns. People are so worried about his ground game. It's really like people have learned about Glover to share. They're like, oh, hey, he's not the threat on the feet anymore. It's his ground game that they're so worried about the takedowns that he lands shots. Uh, his his one punch fight ending knockout power has been gone for a while. 
I always thought it was exaggerated, but it's it's definitely gone. Like it, I, I'd be shocked if he, you know, well, the later the fight goes on, that one punch knockout doesn't shock you. But I mean, like I always think about like the first round when you're fresh. If, if he lands a big shot, it, it would shock me. Uh, but he's shooting his Yuri Prohaska when it's when the fight is going and it's pushing hard that he, his punches sting. Like he can he can damage you, he can buckle you. Uh, so you do have to respect his striking. I'm worried about his durability, though. I mean, he's been buckled a lot. I mean, Prohaska hurt him multiple times in their fight. It, it was an absolute classic war, something that a 43-year-old guy really <laughs> can't be taking that kind of damage. Uh, even in a win over Jan Blachowicz, Blachowicz had moments where he buckled him. Carl Robinson almost knocked him out. Tiago Santos uh, almost knocked him out. Alexander Gustafsson almost decapitated him. Uh, Anthony Johnson absolutely wrecked him. So the keys had tons of damage. And as he gets older, like his chin's not going to improve. It's going to get worse. So that is very troublesome when you're facing such a power puncher like Hill is a, a guy that can make a guy like Johnny Walker look like a fool, you know, when he, when he touches you, but you can't talk about Glover Teixeira and all that damage taken without mentioning his legendary recovery. The hurt bat against Diago Santos finds a way to win hurt bat against Carl Robinson finds a way to win. Uh, Buckled against Jan Belhovitz, a guy who's known for his knockout power, his you know legendary left hook, and finds a way to win. So it, it goes with. I think it has less to do with like his body recovery, but more of just a mindset. Like he's been there. He's a true veteran. He knows that one punch, if he's not out, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. And obviously, the thing about him, he's one of the best grapplers in the history of the sport. When we think. He's not one of the first names we think of when we think about grapplers. Because when we when we think about all time greatest grapplers, you think about the guys who accomplished amazing feats in in the jujitsu world, or the guys who have the records, like a Charles Oliveira. Yeah. So you think like think of Charles Oliveira, you think about Dave Maya, Fabricio Verdun, Jack Russo, yeah. you know, and he doesn't have those accolades, and he doesn't have these you know twenty submissions or whatever Charles Oliveira has. But topside grappling and what he's done, I mean, it's incredible. Now, he, we don't think about him as a wrestler, but he takes everyone down. He, he, he uses his punches to get inside. He's, he grabs a snatch single. He runs the pipe, and he's relentless to get the around. He doesn't care if you sprawl on him. He doesn't care, especially because he goes with the single. So it's kind of much harder to sprawl or go to, go to my high crotch. He does really good to set up his shots by winging punches, getting on the hips. And once he's on top, I mean, he's an amazing top game. Some of the best top game in the history of of MMA, regardless of the weight class. Hard ground pound. Uh, he's got 10 submission wins. So, like, even though, yeah, he doesn't have the records, but, like, 10 submission wins, a lot of them in the UFC. And he's shown that he has a card. Like, yeah, he ended up making a mistake and getting caught against Yuri Prasca, but he was winning in the fourth and fifth rounds up to that point until he got submitted. So, uh, he can go hard 25 minutes. Now, Jamal Hill, Hill's no joke. Hill's no joke. I mean, he's a southpaw that he's long and lengthy, and he's a sniper on the feet. He's extremely accurate. He's got massive power. His left straight is is one of the best punches in all of MMA. I love that he works the body, especially against a guy like a, a 43-year-old. Glove is a share. Can he take 
body shots like he could have in the past. Uh, step in knees is something that could work really good for him, especially because the way Glover Sherry kind of really ducks his head. I could see, and, and Hill being so much tall, you know, such a tall guy, how easy to get his knees up. I can see him catching him something with a step in knee. Good teep kicks, crushing body kicks. He has some defensive holes. He keeps his chin a little high, keeps his head on the center line. He, he slides his head straight back, kind of that tall man's defense. Um, so those things I don't like about a striking. A uh, strong clinch game, though, because of his height, he gets that like tall man's lockdown and blasting knees. He can grapple. He'll sneak in a takedown, but his defensive grappling is the Achilles heel to him. I mean, he was taken down six times in, in his last fight against Thiago Santos, and Santos isn't known as being a wrestler. I mean, this, you know, he's not Bo Nickel taking him down. Um, so... Because of his length, he does toss up some submission attacks, and I th- I think he can get a sub off his back, even though he doesn't have a submission on his record. And when I say I think he can get a sub off, I'm not talking about getting glove to share. I'm just talking in general. Uh, I think it's a really tough fight. I I think both guys have like huge avenues for victory, which makes it tough. Um, I favor Hill early. If if this fight ends in a minute. Hill just starches him. Hill touches him, starches him, has a spectacular knockout. Uh, it, it's sad. The Brazilian crowd's upset. Glover Teixeira is knocked out cold. It's, it's, you know, his body finally just failed him. And and between his body failing him and, you know, Hill being this massive punch, he just puts him out. But which is surprising, it just goes against logic that while I favor Hill early, every single minute that goes on. I feel like the pendulum is swinging towards the Sierra. The, the more I feel more comfortable with Terrence Sherry. If we got a f- you know, fourth round, fifth round, back and forth war, I'm feeling good about Clover Teixeira. You know, if we have a fight similar to Yuri Prohaska, I think Teixeira is going to crash the pocket. I think he's going to get in immediately. I think he's going to use his wrestling. I think Hill's going to maybe stop one or two takedowns, but I think eventually Teixeira is going to take him down. He's going to wear on him. He's going to lay on him. He's going to slow him down. He's going to grind on him. He's going to do all those little things that Glover to share does good head positioning, good running the everything, and I think eventually, uh, you know, Hill eats too many shots, makes a mistake. Glover to share uh, makes him pay. Glover to share brings the belt back home to New England. He wins by third round submission. I hope you're right. Like I would, I would love nothing better than to be wrong on the on the recap and like eat a bunch of crow over this, but I am going the other way here. And I see the dynamic exactly the same as, as you do. Like Hills, obvious Achilles heels is takedown defense. Like Tiago Santos, who has the worst knees in the UFC, this side of Shogun, like took Hill down repeatedly. You go all the way back, like Darko Stosic, who was not good at all. And like just washed out of the UFC at 0-3, like took Hill down a couple of times. Uh, but I mean, Hill's the hardest hitter that Glover Teixeira has faced since Anthony Johnson. Like he has one punch knockout yeah, in two absolutely. of his last three fights. Like, yeah, the, absolutely. like he, he lamped Johnny Walker with a single shot. Like oh, legendary the, the, the one against uh, Jim Crute. I mean, it's listed as punches rather than punch. Cause he managed to get in another shot before the ref got in there, but <laughs> yeah. it was, it was one and done as well. I mean, the, the avenues to victory are real obvious for both guys. It is a little heartening that, yeah, like Teixeira's recoverability 
uh, and cardio are really impressive for a guy his age, but it's not like Hill fades either, you know, like he was doing yeah. fun, like despite getting taken down a bunch of times by Santos, like he finished them in, in the fourth round. I do like his ability or his willingness to go to the body because as good as to share his recoverability is like, you know, your liver doesn't have a chin. No, you know, like when you, when you're dealing with a fighter with a great chin or great recoverability, like sometimes the body is, is the Achilles heel. Like there for a long time, that was the only way to stop, you know, Donald Cerrone or, or Matt Brown. Uh, I'm, but I'm thinking he doesn't even get to like the attrition rounds to share Gonna, I think Deshera is only going to box as long as he needs to to start looking, you know, until he starts spotting his opportunities to go in for a takedown. But Hill's going to Hill's going to find him. He's going to he's going to catch him with something coming in, or he's going to manage to get up from the first takedown attempt or fight off the first takedown attempt and catch Deshera just a little out of, of position sometime in the first two rounds, and it's going to get real real quiet in the Juness Arena, and I'll be sad for being right. And again, I hope you're right. Uh, and and Teixeira just gets the triumphant walk off moment and brings that belt back to Connecticut. But uh, give me Hill by second round TKO here. And that is the Sherdog Radio Network preview for UFC 283: Teixeira versus Hill. I've been your host Ben Duffy. He has been Keith Schillen. If this is your first time watching or listening to one of our previews, first of all, thank you. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we do our best to bring the best blend of in-depth analysis, bold predictions, and occasional side conversation goofiness, as you'll find anywhere in this industry. This one was actually a little shorter on the goofiness than some others, mostly because we're recording a couple days later than usual, and it's a 15-fight card, and you know you approach a marathon differently than a sprint. But uh, you know, please do like, subscribe, drop us a comment in the comment section. If you're on YouTube, Keith and I both man those comment sections and we're both good about replying. You know, if you've got a hot take on these fights, if you've got a bold prediction, if you think one of these plus 400 plus 500 plus 750 underdogs is going to cash, you know, put your dignity on the line and, and we'll definitely give you props if you turn out right. But most importantly, join us for the recap. We are live about 15 minutes after the main event on the Sherdog YouTube page where Keith takes the captain's chair uh, and we will talk about all 15 of these fights in reverse order, starting from the headliner all the way down to that uh, Bantamweight curtain jerker. We will talk about what was good, what was bad, what was surprising, what was controversial. Hopefully nothing controversial in the top two fights. Uh, you know, just knock on wood. But the... Uh, the comment section, the or sorry, the live chat is is wide open during that entire recap. So we are taking your questions, your comments, your hot takes in real time, just answering your questions on air. We have uh, a bunch of friends there that uh, seem to enjoy hanging out with us after the fights, and we would love you to be part of that community. Between now and then, thank you once again for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week, and by all means, enjoy the fights.